The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Tristan Pantorato, Wilshire, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito Benito, AJ Olson 11, Pixel.Wav, Austin Reynolds, Pedro Marquez, and CubeDude22. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So anyway, Mike, I think that if if wands were uh, real life, that would approximately be the size of wand that I would have. And wow, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that long. Yeah. That long, Neil. We are live in the studio today. Wow, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Big news day uh, recently. We had a Nintendo Direct. Of course, everybody knows that E3 is canceled and probably never coming back, but that doesn't stop the developers and publishers from putting out their own little mini directs around the same time that E3 would happen anyway. So even though E3 is dead, it still lives on in this weird post-E3 world, I guess. But Nintendo had their Direct, and they called it uh, the Nintendo Direct Mini, also known as their uh, their Nintendo Direct Partners Showcase, which I actually kind of like these little subheadings that Nintendo Directs are starting to take on. We have the big Directs that everyone looks forward to. We have the Indies, a personal favorite of mine. And now we have this Nintendo Direct Mini Partner Showcase. I like that we're, we're getting these different subheadings of Nintendo Directs. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's pretty nice. And it kind of um, subverts expectations almost in that sense. Uh, it kind of gives mm-hmm. you, it, it tells you what, what to expect. You uh, you know that there won't be any uh, big Zelda news or Metroid Prime news, which right. everyone asks for every you know second, every single second of the day. <laughs> um, but instead we got a yeah, whole bunch of third party news. We got some actually GameCube kind of content. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. talk about that later. But uh, starting off, uh, Bomberman uh, 2, Bomberman R2. Uh, if you can believe it, Neil, this was a launch game, Bomberman R for the Switch. Uh, it's uh, March March 2017. It'll, it's coming out in 2023 uh, in the springtime. So it'll be exactly six years later since we've had a new Bomberman game. Yeah, that, that was really neat. That one was after a couple of other uh, other announcements. We had a Monster Hunter announcement and a Near Automata uh, announcement as well. Mm-hmm. Those aren't our kind of games, so that kind of just brushed right past me. Honestly, for the longest time, I thought the Monster Hunter trailer was Xenoblade 3, <laughs> but uh, I was incorrect, obviously. Uh, but yeah, Super Bomberman R2. I had forgotten that that was a launch title, because for me, Bomberman on Switch was that Bomberman 99 mm-hmm. that came out, uh, was that last year or two? It might have been a pandemic thing in 2020. But uh, I completely forgot Bomberman R yep. did come out. And I think the, those games all sell really well. Like They find their niche. And people who like Bomberman love Bomberman. So I'm sure that there's a good group of people out there uh, looking forward to Bomberman R2. Not for me, but uh, something that I might check out if there's a demo or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, a, a legacy collection that's looking really cool is the Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection. I'm looking forward to this because I love the classic Mega Man games, the ones on NES and the Super NES specifically, but uh, I've never played the Battle Network games, so I'm kind of hoping this might be something for me to try. Yeah, all GBA games, and we did get the Battle Network Transmission Collection, I think, on the GameCube. Uh, back in the day, I'm not sure if those are the same games or different. Uh, I, I, it, this the direct just happened, so I haven't done my research, but, uh, but uh, it's still some a GameCube tie there, uh, at least in, in in some sense. And another GameCube tie is the Pac-Man World remake, Neil. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that was big. I feel like we kind of we were willing that into existence because mm-hmm. we talked about Pac-Man World and Pac-Man World Two as well. Uh, what was that like earlier this year, late last year on the on our uh, on our Pac? Our, that was our 3D platformer episode, I think. Right. That, the, well, um, we we talked about Pac-Man, we, but the first time we talked about Pac-Man and Pac-Man mm-hmm. World was the Super Monkey Ball and Pac-Man World episode in like I think right. episode twelve. Uh, yes. Way back in the day. And yeah, I remember on that episode, we talked about how we would love to see Pac-Man World come back. We think it's it's a pretty underrated franchise. And, you know, Pac-Man kind of just lives in the 99 world right now. So yeah. that is really cool to see. And it looks really good, too. Like the graphics are looking good. It's up It kind of has that uh, Crash Bandicoot. Not quite as good. This looks more like a remaster than a full-blown remake. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much better Pac-Man really needs to look. We don't <laughs> need to see the pores on that horrific <laughs> yellow face. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, like he's bearded. He's basically like he has the Kratos character arc. I think that'd be really funny. But I'm glad to see Namco going back into their Pac-Man history. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully this means we'll get to see some new Pac-Man games, something maybe a reimagined uh, 3D platformer, kind of like what Crash Bandicoot has done. Uh, just, you know, brings back memories again. Why is Banjo-Kazooie still left in the, uh, in the rare graveyard? I need him to come back, but mm-hmm. we're getting Pac-Man World out there, so that's kind of cool. The next game here that uh, I want to talk about felt more like an indie showcase game. I'm not quite sure how this game snuck in there, but it caught my eye nonetheless. And I, th- I believe that they called it Blanc. Yes, in Blanc. The... Blanc. B-L-A-N-C. So I guess it's a French game or something. But this game looks really cool. It's uh, It looks like hand-drawn, black and white. Kind of reminds me of like old school Winnie the Pooh books almost. Yeah, it does. It had that beautiful yeah. illustration to it. Mm-hmm. It looks like a lot of fun. For me, it looked like the gameplay looked almost like the long dark but as animals yes it's like a survival game in that sense uh, i i yeah. would love to pick this up yeah this was what like the first game in the uh in, in the direct for me that really caught my eye something mm-hmm. new obviously the uh pac-man world is pretty cool but this was something new that i was like man this looks awesome it's about like a wolf cub and a and a fawn like yeah. a little deer and they're on this little adventure together so it's a co-op game coming out february 2023 i think i'll for sure be checking that one out and then the next game i want to talk about real quick is called return to monkey island not that this game uh looked i didn't it really didn't stand out to me but it's made by ron gilbert so no relation to me though. <laughs> no relation to you that's like the sea of thieves one i think that's uh yeah. look like sea of thieves and mario rabbits came after that um mm-hmm. and i feel like we've gotten more mario rabbits games in the last like five years and we have mario games we've had two this will be the second one (laughs) we've had one mario rabbits game that came out not long after the switch came out and now this one i don't know like the mario rabbits series it's cool like i really like the first one i don't know if i needed a sequel to it to be honest with you Uh, i'm sure it's it's got its fan base for sure uh it's a ubisoft game so they're doing the best that they can with uh, the mario franchise right now because nintendo isn't making any mario games so i guess this is the best we have but it's more of that XCOM gameplay than the uh the classic uh mario Jumpman gameplay i suppose sure Uh, a couple other games here there was little noah sky on of paradise did not stand out to me at all but jumping right ahead here to the highlight of the direct for me which was rail grade which looks just amazing (laughs) it's a train building game so you get to design your own railroad tracks basically sim city but for trains every so often we get this rail uh sim i guess like sim rail yard maker game every couple of years and they always catch my eye, and then they're never fun to play on console. This game looks terrific, but I think it'll be best played on PC. Yeah, most likely, but still, still a really cool entry. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, that's sick!" Yeah, I can't wait. To, I can't wait to try <laughs> it and probably be disappointed that it doesn't play well on a uh, on a Switch controller. But like I said a couple weeks ago, I would love to see Nintendo put out a mouse and keyboard peripheral for the Switch, so I can play games like this properly. We'll pull it into existence, Neil. But uh, mm. Sonic Frontiers also 
uh, was shown here. We've seen yeah. a bunch of these games we've already kind of seen at different conferences. Uh, quite a few of them being at the Xbox conference a few weeks ago, uh, like Minecraft Legends, Portal, Persona 5, uh, 4, and 3, which uh, were a bit later in the direct. Uh, but yeah, Sonic Frontiers, you know, it's uh, we talked a little bit in our Sonic episode about being somewhat tepidly excited for it, or just more mm-hmm. excited that it exists. It didn't look amazing to me. I know it, the graphics looked super muddy to me, Neil. Oh yeah, the more they show of this game, the worse it's looking. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's funny. The original, like the first announcement of it, and maybe like the splash screen or screenshots was like, oh wow, this looks like it could be neat. A little bit of Breath of the Wild, a little bit of Pokemon Arceus in there, uh, or Arceus, I guess, if depending on where you live. Um, but the more gameplay they show of this game, like the more it's showing its signs of being a Sega Sonic game. And like we talked about in our Sonic episode, we have this Sega cycle of people looking forward to the next <laughs> Sonic game. The Sonic game comes out, disappointment, bad reviews. And then we look forward to whatever the next one is. But I, I really had higher... I mean, I'm a part of that wave too, and I'm not even a Sonic fan. I really thought that since it's been, what, four or five years since the last Sonic game, and we've had two very successful movies, I would think Sega would have tightened up the screws a little bit in the Sonic development cycle and made this game polish a little bit more, but there's some frame rate dips, dude. There's some texture drop in like pop in, I suppose. And yeah, like it it does look muddy. It doesn't look quite as sharp as I'd like it to look. Maybe they'll patch it and everything after the game comes out, but I have high hopes for it. And I think like any Sonic fan, like if you're a big Sonic fan, like a lot of our friends are, I'm sure that they're absolutely going to love it, but I'll borrow this game from a friend. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, the, yeah, the other games I kind of already mentioned there, Minecraft, uh, Persona 5, 4, and 3, like Persona 5 Royal, which I know Mm -hmm. some of our friends were really excited for coming to the Xbox, now gets to actually come to to the Switch, and uh, Joker gets to have a tie now to, uh, uh, to say, hey, Persona 5 is on the Switch, so I can be in Smash. Yes, finally. That, I'm not going to lie. That part of the direct, I definitely zoned out quite <laughs> yeah. a bit because those games are not for me. But I know, just like the Xenoblade, uh, the Xenoblade fan base, there, people are stoked to play Persona. I know it's a great game, but uh, it's just not going to be for me. I need to give a shout out to one last game here, and that's Disney Dreamlight Valley, which is a game that my girlfriend is very excited to play. So I honestly thought this game was going to be like a 2023, 2024 game, just like this game that'll just be in development hell. Uh, for no reason, but uh, there's going to be an early access in on September 6th of this year. So I can't wait to play on mini clip games. <laughs> yeah, it definitely looks like a basic game, but uh, I think she's she's really looking forward to it. So I'm excited for her, and uh, I'll I'll get her review on it when it eventually comes out, and I'll uh, I'll report back, Mike. Sounds good. Yeah, we're also getting a Portal collection, which is kind of neat. We and already a knew bunch that, of other random. Yeah, we already knew Portal. There, like you said, there was a lot of repeat news here, which is was great to see. I'm still holding out hope that Nintendo puts out a bigger Direct sometime later on this summer, because I feel like we need to get some more news on Zelda and Metroid and where the heck is Donkey Kong. And, uh, and I think, Mike, within the next year or so, we're probably going to start to hear rumblings of Nintendo's next console, because we're coming up quickly on the sixth anniversary of the Switch. So Yeah, I know. Hopefully we'll see another Direct, and when we do, we will uh, keep you posted. Yeah, we will keep you posted on all the latest and greatest Nintendo news every couple of months. That's what we like to do here. (laughs) But we also like to talk about some Patreon topics, Mike. Just like AJ Olson wrote into us today, listeners, remember, if you want to write in an opening topic to the show, you can do so by supporting the show on patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool. All patrons at the $5 or above level get their names read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic. Just like AJ Olson says today, I want you guys to pick an exclusive franchise from each of Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony and make that franchise available to other consoles. This would include changing them historically. So you say God of War, then there would have been GameCube, Wii slash Xbox, Xbox 360, etc. God of War games, as well as new titles available to Switch, Xbox Series X, etc. 
So basically going forward, every console would have a God of War game. And AJ Olson goes on to say that his picks would be Halo for Microsoft, Sony with Ratchet and Clank, and Nintendo, uh, he would say Metroid. So uh, he would love to play the Metroid Prime 4 on a powerful Series X, which are all great franchises to have as cross-platform games. So Mike, I'll start with you. What are some of your uh, what are some of your picks here for a uh, franchise from the other Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo publishers that could show up on all the consoles? Yeah, uh, great question, AJ. Thank you for that for sure. Uh, always like kind of theorizing these uh, alternate histories. Uh, mm-hmm. I love talking about that, like Freedom Fighters. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> for Microsoft, I mean, you know, Halo is the obvious one for sure, and it's definitely Microsoft's biggest exclusive ever. It's really the the one exclusive I think of when I think of. Um, Microsoft, but uh, because you already said it, I'm kind of going to cheat here a little bit. I'm going to say Jet Set Radio Uh, Mm, now because I know that was a Sega exclusive that became an Xbox exclusive, but um, but I love Jet Set Radio and that reminds me of my childhood Uh, and maybe Morrowind (laughs) and like Elden Ring. Uh, or sorry, I guess it would be Morrowing. Yeah, Morrowind would be like a second place finish. But again, mm. the the thing with the Xbox games is that they're also on PC. So yeah, uh, that is a tough one to do. Uh, for... But they're still Microsoft Studios. Like that's the thing. Like, yeah. I know people say, oh, there are no like clear Microsoft franchises, but there are. Like Forza, Halo, Gears of War. Those ones don't appear on Sony and Nintendo hardware still. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm going to probably steal your idea here, Neil. And I would say mm. Shadow of the Colossus for P- for PlayStation. Uh, oh, for Sony. okay. I would love to play Shadow of the Colossus on any Nintendo platform. Like playing this on the GameCube back in the day would have been really, really cool. I think of uh, Ico as well. Ico? Ico? How do you pronounce yeah, that? I, yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that also, uh, which was a Sony exclusive. Uh, I think that's a Sony exclusive. It is, yeah. it is. But, I mean, like, there's only one game in that franchise. So, like, even if you had Shadow of the Colossus on GameCube back in the day, you still wouldn't have a Shadow of the Colossus 2. That's true. Oh, I you, would have La- you might have Last Guardian, I guess, <laughs> if we're going by uh, the series. You'd have Ico, Shadow of the Colossus, and Last Guardian on Switch. Yeah, well, two of those games I really would want <laughs> on, <laughs> on Nintendo platforms. And I think Nintendo definitely is the hardest one here. For some reason, mm. my first thought is the Pikmin series. Oh, okay. And I say this because I honestly think other consoles could probably do a better job of this than Nintendo at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for the other ones, I was thinking more in the past tense, but this I'm thinking in the future, uh, where I don't, well, who knows what Nintendo's going to be doing with Pikmin 4 if that ever comes out, you know, and hey, Pikmin not being Ugh. good. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just think that, that there's just so much potential. You know, if you look at like putting Pikmin on a PS5, in terms of what the PS5 is able to do with like the, the Matrix demo or stuff mm. like you know stuff like that, I think Pikmin would be a really cool example to see on a on a hardware that could handle seeing thousands of Pikmin on screen at once. Ooh, thousands of Pikmin! Yeah. Wow, you're going up. You you went from 100 Pikmin to thousands. That's a huge upgrade. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, Pikmin on other <laughs> hardware would be so cool. Honestly, like everybody wants to see some Nintendo games on other hardware just to see like how good it can look like you know yeah breath of the wild looks good on switch but like what would it really look like on a on a ps5 or an xbox series x like like we really want to know and some people have done it like we you see the unreal engine versions of like ocarina of time and it's just amazing like i would i would love to see yeah. that too but my picks uh were pretty easy for microsoft like i know that halo has now been said twice and i'm gonna say it a third time because i think halo <laughs> is the best thing that microsoft has i would i would have loved to have had halo on gamecube back in the day even yeah. not being able to play it online, I think just having local Halo play would have been sweet. Like, that's how we played it in uh, computer tech back in high school, which was fun. <laughs> uh, we all had, like, the computers in the same room, and that's how we played Halo, so that would be sweet. Uh, to have Halo, like, on Wii would have been cool. Even handheld, like, on DS and 3DS would have been really fun. 
I think that there actually was a Halo demo on Nintendo DS back in the day. Uh, it never Ooh. saw the light of day. This was something that like IGN had access to, but uh, Microsoft, it never, it never happened because you know how working with Nintendo must be. So that would be my <laughs> choice would be to have Halo on. Halo should be on everything, and I'm sure that we will see a future that uh, that has that. With Sony, I love the idea of Shadow of the Colossus because that probably is my favorite Sony exclusive when you get right down to it. It's close between yep. that and The Last of Us. Uh, also, Ratchet and Clank from uh, AJ is also a great choice. I think Ratchet and Clank would be a terrific choice for the Nintendo fan base. Uh, really, mm-hmm. that is like Sony's answer to Mario is Ratchet and Clank. That's their kid-friendly series. I love to, I would love to see Ratchet, more Ratchet and Clank games come out on Sony hardware, let alone other consoles, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but currently, I would love to see Uncharted on, uh, on Nintendo hardware. I know that this Ooh, is technically cheating because it's not going back to the Xbox original or the PS2 generation, I suppose, but uh, pretty close, the PS3 generation. Just because Nintendo doesn't have that action adventure uh, Indiana Jones style game, really. Yeah, yeah, for an exclusive. Yeah, like like Nintendo has like Mario and Zelda and Pokemon and Metroid, but like we don't have have this. Zelda would be the closest, I guess. Kind of, but Uncharted is somewhat grounded in reality. Like they have yes. real world guns, and it's a bit too violent for Nintendo, I suppose. But it's it's real humans in real places on the planet, and we really don't have anything that Nintendo makes that's meant to be set on Earth. So yeah, that's true. That, yeah, so that's why I would go with Uncharted as my Sony to Nintendo and Xbox uh, uh, choice. I think those those games are coming to uh, PC. Uh, I think I heard that recently. And my Nintendo choice to go to all other platforms is Animal Crossing. That that is a great pick, just mm-hmm. because of like, you know, there was thirty five million Animal Crossing. Uh, copies sold for the Switch alone, and so right. many people were playing it. Imagine if that was on every single console, right. you would have you know, ten times that number. Exactly, like you're just opening up that that pantheon of players that would love to. Like, imagine being able to play Animal Crossing on your laptop, on the uh, like on a yeah. on a the Go Train or something, or just being able to pop up pop pop open your Vita, or if anybody's playing the Vita <laughs> and playing Animal Crossing there. Like, I think Animal Crossing, like on your phone, like it should be on everything, and you could have. Like you said, there's 35 million players or copies of Animal Crossing sold on Switch. If you put that on Xbox, PlayStation, and PC, it would be well over 100 million people playing that. And just imagine the worlds you can build, the communities that you can come up with. Like, if it's on PC, the mods that you can make with Animal Crossing, like, it would be so crazy to see what people would do. It would be Minecraft, honestly. Yeah, basically. That's, that's like, it would be probably the same amount of playership as, as Minecraft. It probably has the clo- the best cho- chance of catching up to that Minecraft popularity, too. Like, Minecraft being taught in schools and like clubs like there would be animal crossing clubs around the world no doubt no doubt oh for sure for sure for sure great topic aj olson we love talking about these alternate history possibilities where the gaming where the gaming community could have gone but didn't because we still do have console exclusives fortunately or unfortunately depending on your perspective but uh yeah great topic but mike with that i think it's about time that we uh, moved on to our topic of the show let's talk about some harry potter games what do you think Let's do it. Oh my. I've been I've been waiting for this day, Neil. Wingardium Leviosa. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 103 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 451 games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. 
And Hagrid, surprisingly, he helped. He's he's a, he's a computer whiz. Well, he's a squib, yeah. so he has no magical powers, so he has to be able to do something. He's uh, he's learning Python in his downtime. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Last week, we talked about Star Fox Assault and attempted to will good Star Fox games back into existence to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Star Fox 64, the official definition of a peak in a franchise. <laughs> this week, we are talking about the video games based around the Harry Potter franchise on the GameCube. We're going to be talking a little bit about our history with the books and the movies, uh, which was a huge part of everyone's lives between like 1997 and 2011. Uh, whether you never read or saw any of the books or movies, uh, everybody on the planet knew what Harry Potter was. It was just an absolute phenomenon. So with that, Mike, let's dive back to the 90s. What are your first memories of the Harry Potter franchise? Yeah, 25 years ago, Neil, that this week actually is the anniversary of Philosopher's Stone coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I When it came out, uh, well, I mean, we were only four or five years old, so kind of a blip to us. But I remember getting the little box set of the three books uh, of uh, the Philosopher's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, and Prisoner of Azkaban. I got that for probably my sixth birthday or seventh birthday. I couldn't read that well that, at that, that point. That checks out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So because uh, my parents read the first two books for, to me and maybe part of the third uh, and that's actually the only one. Like my mom always says that she doesn't actually know the uh, anything else past the third because that's all <laughs> she remembers because she never read them herself. Or I think she saw the movies, but she doesn't remember. But uh, right. yeah, uh, my my mom and dad both read me the first two books, and then I think yeah, about halfway through the third, I was probably about probably old enough to start like fully reading these big books on my own. And I remember I was a little bit behind on getting the books, but I uh, or reading through the books, but I did buy Order of, Order of the Phoenix. Day one, I lined mm-hmm. up at midnight and I got the book. That was a really, really cool experience. I'll never forget that. I was in grade four at the time when that came out. And I, but I hadn't read Goblet of Fire <laughs> at this point. So what I did is because we had reading time in school. I don't know if you remember this, Neil, but mm-hmm. we would have, you know, our kind of designated reading period, like an hour, I guess, for the teacher if they're hungover. You know, just like <laughs> all the kids read whatever book they brought from home. Mm-hmm. And everyone, like literally everyone in the class had uh, Order of the Phoenix. And mm-hmm. I remember I I took the, 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 the dust jacket from Order of the Phoenix, and I put it on Goblet of Fire. <laughs> so okay. it looked like I was also reading it, but I was behind. I was one book behind. Oh, okay. I, uh, uh, and But I obviously eventually caught up. And I don't think I got uh, book number six when it first came out, but uh, eventually I, I did get it. And then I got book number seven when it first came out as well. And uh, that was a really, really cool experience. Probably something that will never happen again. Kids lining up mm-hmm. at midnight for a book. But uh, right. and then the movies came out and obviously they were extremely successful as well, even more so than the books, which is so, so rare for that to happen. Uh, and the movies, obviously amazing, just mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, almost I'd say like almost all of them are like nine out of tens. And then Prisoner of Azkaban obviously is the best. Yeah, yeah, that's it's like the, the clear cut winner. I've never met someone who said that they didn't like the Prisoner of Azkaban movie. If you do i'm sorry you're just objectively wrong uh, <laughs> uh and i just watched it again uh literally before this episode and nice. i was like wow yeah it holds up so well still yep but uh yeah um and after that you know harry potter kind of went away a lot for me like most people because the everything that's come after 
book number seven and movie number seven just has not really lived up to any of the hype. Movie number eight, technically. Sorry, movie. Yeah, technically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? The Fantastic Beasts series mm. of huge flop, yep. especially the last one. The first one was okay, but it just got progressively worse. And uh, there's been, it's been kind of cold, obviously, with the the play, which was good. I mean, it wasn't anything crazy it was basically just a fan fiction made into a play yeah uh so it's uh it's been an interesting time for the wizarding wizarding world but it's uh it's really nice to kind of look back on that you know life that we had in the early 2000s late 90s and it's something like to tell your kids be like yeah this happened this was Mm -hmm. the most ubiquitous event i think in our you know in our childhood history yeah, it's basically like our Star Wars from 1977, really. Like, yeah. we're, not, we're never going to see anything like this. Uh, at least our childhood won't. Other than maybe Pokemon. It was Pokemon and Harry Potter were the two synonymous things. Um, but with Pokemon, like, there were kids, obviously, who didn't play Pokemon. With Harry Potter, I'm pretty sure every single person I know has read or watched the movies. Pretty much. The only exception I have to that are, like, people that I met in uh, when I started working in the real... When I left public school and went into, like, the real world and started working and found out that there were kids in Catholic schools and their parents didn't let them read or watch them because they were heavily involved with witchcraft. So a lot of those kids didn't end up seeing these movies or reading these books until way later when they started to go behind their parents' back and and do things, (laughs) uh, which is funny. But those are the only groups of people from our generation who, like, never saw them as kids and didn't have the same nostalgia towards them. Yeah, fair enough. I remember when uh, Goblet of Fire came out in 2000. That's really my first memory of uh, of the Harry Potter series because like, I remember hearing rumblings of it, like my cousins being read Harry Potter and stuff, but I don't remember mm-hmm. seeing a book until I saw the Goblet of Fire just because the cover is one of the best so book covers of all time, dude. I love that with the dragon and Harry about to go catch the gold egg. I, I popped open that book just for that cover alone, having not read the first three books and was pretty lost because this is also pre-movie so i had no touchstone with any of these characters or anything and i read like the first little bit in school like you said the uh the one hour reading classes for when the teachers are hung over that's uh that's what i was doing because that was that was like the biggest book i had ever seen in my life up to that point because you got to remember up until the year 2000 everyone was reading basically goosebumps and the um the what was that uh, Captain Underpants Captain Underpants of course who could forget but I was thinking of the um the treehouse what was that uh, oh uh, magic, I don't even know not Magic Treehouse Magic Treehouse you know I think that is was Magic that it? Treehouse magic tree? okay the Magic Treehouse books those are really like the three types of books that I read and just yeah. thinking about the the books this week a lot like Harry Potter really did end the Goosebumps train for the from the nineties like that was the definitive nail in the coffin for Goosebumps. It ended the Goosebumps train and started like the just like the children's fantasy train, yep. which really wasn't a thing beforehand. And then, well, of course, just an explosion. Yeah, like it, it was a thing, but it wasn't a th- it wasn't a thing to like this degree. No. If you know what I mean? No, there, there was like Narnia. I guess would be the like the, yeah. the real one. Like that really is the one of the biggest influences I think before Harry Potter. I would think, but I know what you're talking about. Like the the youth. The youth fiction category really hit its boom with Harry Potter, for sure. Everything came out yeah. after this, and then eventually we get books like uh, The Hunger Games and Twilight a few years later. So Series of Unfortunate Events. So you definitely. Can Series of Unfortunate Events. Great, great example. Uh, eventually, saw the first movie on VHS. I didn't actually see the first movie in theaters in 2001. Uh, but love that movie straight from the get-go. And that's really what uh, slingshotted my interest in the books was after seeing that first movie rented from Blockbuster. Uh, family went to go and see the second movie in the- on in theaters on New Year's Day in 2003. 
And then Ooh. the third movie, didn't see that one in theaters, ended up seeing that one on DVD uh, after it came out on DVD. And then from there on, I saw every Harry Potter movie in theaters pretty much on opening day or around Christmas time because they all came out around Christmas. Yeah. So yeah, saw them all opening day or later on and then saw them all on DVD after they came out. So I've probably seen every Harry Potter film 10 to 15 times each and I've read wow. all of the books probably four times through now, I think. Uh, good for you thank you yeah I'm, I'm an avid <laughs> harry potter reader for sure i've only done two through two twice, twice through. through all the books okay yeah. every every like five years i just get that itch to uh to read them all the way through i read them all the way through back in 2020 during the pandemic because there was nothing to do so <laughs> i read through like the entire series in maybe two months a month like a month and a half not even uh they're pretty quick reads especially the first three books they're not as long as i remember them being no um but order of the phoenix is the only one that i i consider to be a bit of a slog yeah, that, to go through that's my favorite book too but uh yeah uh that that is the one where it's like oh man like i remember when my aunt told me she read that book in a week and i was like jesus like how do you <laughs> but eventually one year like i think i read it in one week during the pandemic yeah. as well so as an adult it makes sense but when you're like nine years old that sounds impossible impossible to do um, but like you said, after 2011, the series really did slow down massively for a lot of us. Like we had nothing until the Fantastic Beast movie came out. And I was honestly never even lukewarm on that franchise. I, I didn't <laughs> like the first one. I hated the second yeah. one. I haven't seen the third one yet. Uh, so that was unfortunate. But there's always been like little, you know, bits and bobs kind of tr trickle out of the, the wizarding world as it as it's so called. Like, you know, like, like you said, we had the Cursed Child book, which came out, which was fine. But I saw the play earlier uh actually like last month which was amazing the play in person is really cool um yeah, as, as fanfic that. like it's actually not very good but as a <laughs> no. as a play it's it's unbelievable like you have to see it it's just such yeah. a cool experience um and then like there's a, like i got a random harry potter lego set a couple years ago so there's always been like a couple of things going on next year my girlfriend and i are going to go to the harry potter world in universal studios in florida so that'll be really fun it's, it's a lot of fun i've been there yeah no I, i'm ex i'm so excited dude, to go on those rides and stuff <laughs> so it, it's been really a part of our lives since 1997 and hasn't ever really stopped it's always just kind of been a slow burn since since 2011 which is uh which has been really fun and uh so the books and the movies are all absolutely fantastic, like you said. Um, like my favorite book is the uh, Order of the Phoenix. Favorite movie is The Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, I think that these books definitely influenced a ton of kids out there to get into reading and in some cases writing. Yes. It's gotten a lot of people into filmmaking or at least going back and looking at great films. Can't quite say the same about the video games, though. No, it's uh, it's actually interesting where the video games kind of came from and where they've gone the original video games as we're going to talk about soon were quite good um and well on on certain consoles i gotta say yeah because one of the big things that we will talk about is is that some are much better on other consoles um and then yeah they got they didn't do well there are 27 video games uh, uh in the harry potter and like wizarding world uh, franchise. There is, of course, the big one on the way, the Hogwarts Legacy, which we've been waiting for a long time. I have big high hopes for that. But um, you know, one thing I did want to say before we actually talk about these five games today mm -hmm. is one of my favorite things I got to ask you, uh, where does the Wizarding World slash Harry Potter, where does that rank on our, on our top media franchises? I actually already know this because I looked it up in my, uh, in my mm. research as well. So I have them at number 10. Okay. Okay. Where where are they? Where are they situated? Yeah. So they're uh, they've grossed uh, to this day, twenty five years after launch, technically thirty three billion dollars, which is just behind the MCU and just ahead of Spider Man. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That's. I mean, it makes sense for sure. Those movies were basically making a billion dollars every single time. Right. Uh. But 
That's wow. That's crazy. Yeah, the majority of that is uh, box office sales at nine point six billion. Merchandise, yep. which I believe counts video games, at eight point one billion, and then the books at seven point seven billion. And uh, with video games, I think that that Hogwarts <laughs> Legacy game is going to do absolutely crazy for uh, for Warner Bros. So that'll just add on to that. Again, every time we look at this uh, this highest grossing media franchise list of all time, I'm always reminded of just how big Hello Kitty is at number two, <laughs> right behind Pokemon. It's just wild. But the books at seven point seven billion. That's we just got to take a second there. Mm-hmm. So you know we've obviously covered most of the top fifty uh, media franchises just because they've been around for a while, and most of them have gone on to the GameCube at some point mm-hmm. or Nintendo consoles, and quite a few of them have books. And the books, I don't think I've ever seen the books be even in the billion. No, uh, let alone the five hundred million. No, so seven point seven billion dollars. <sighs> Uh, of gross for books is just unfathomable yeah the next closest franchise i could think of that we've talked about would be lord of the rings but i don't think they're anywhere close to uh... i'm pretty sure they were like 800 million. <laughs> yeah that's probably about <laughs> right they might be around a billion dollars but i think the majority of that is from the uh, the movie boom from the 2000s as well yeah. oddly enough wow. but yeah jk rowling did a uh, pretty good with those books considering that she was turned down by several publishers uh in the 90s she was borderline like homeless for a while too which was actually really cool for me uh, a couple of years ago, back in 2019, I got to go visit Edinburgh, which is basically like the home of J.K. Rowling while she was writing these books in the early 90s. And uh, it was really neat walking around Edinburgh just to see like all of the, like you can walk down basically real world Diagon Alley, the street that that, uh, that fictional yeah. place is based on, which was really cool. There's a castle that you can see that looks like Hogwarts. Basically, it's a castle built on a mountain. Not exactly this. It's not as magically looking as Hogwarts, but it's still this sure. this castle like from you know 400 AD or whatever the heck uh, on this mountain, which is really cool. And you can go to the Elephant Cafe, which is where she wrote a lot of the first book. It's considered the birthplace of Harry Potter. Uh, you can go to the graveyard where she got a lot of these names from, like Tom Riddle and McGonagall is there. So I highly recommend if you're a travel, you know, travel, you got the travel bugged, and if you like Harry Potter, to definitely check out Edinburgh because there's so much Harry Potter references there. It's really cool. Wow, that's really cool, Neil. And joining us today, our first guest of the day is Chelsea, who is a massive Harry Potter fan. When we started this podcast, uh, I know she really wanted to come on. She, of course, has her own podcast, too, which we'll let her plug uh, later on today. But uh, Chelsea, we're really excited to have you uh, to talk about these uh, these great games on the GameCube. But our first question to you before we get into it is, did you have a GameCube back in the day? You know what? I... I'm going to fail the first question and say that I didn't. (laughs) I had, my family had Super Nintendo. And then from there, we all got N64 for Christmas. And we had that up until we got a PS2. And then from then on, it was pretty much Nintendo Wii and then Nintendo Switch for me. So you, you just skipped the GameCube uh, completely. <laughs> I I did. For a second, I thought you were going to be like, yeah, we had a, a Super Nintendo up until the PS4. And I was going to be like, damn. Like, I would be, I, I love people like that who like have an NES and then they bow out and then they come back like on the PS4 generation. I would kill to like meet somebody like that. That'd be so cool. I know. Missing lots in between there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What a jump. What a jump. But uh, our next question then would be, what house would you consider yourself? What house with a sorting hat put you in? Oh, I was going to ask you guys that question. (laughs) Well, when I was younger, I just 
totally went for, I'm just in Gryffindor. I'm not even taking any tests. I'm just in Gryffindor because I wanted to be like the three musketeers there. Um, and then I did take the test and I ended up being Gryffindor anyway. Nice. So it worked out. What about you, Michael? Nice. What's your house? Yeah. Did you guys take like the actual Pottermore test online? Yeah, I have done it. And I was Gryffindor, but like, you know, I, I feel like I could have been Slytherin. I feel like if I, I just missed a couple of questions there, <laughs> I, I, I could have oh. easily been Slytherin. No, no Hufflepuff for me. I would say a little bit of Ravenclaw for you. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah, Ravenclaw. The, mm. we're, we're the people who we think we know better than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I took the Pottermore test last year, I believe, and I was also put in Gryffindor after after the test, which I was surprised about because not a house, but I always wanted to be with the house elves in the kitchens because I absolutely Aww. love cooking. I, I was like, this makes sense for me. Like, I'm always cleaning. I'm always cooking. I'm always baking or something. And like, if I'm, a, I'm 6'2", right? So if I'm around like this little group of people who are a foot and a half tall, they're going to think I'm like a god because I can just reach everything, no problem. Because I don't think that they can do magic. I get that. But like just the fact that I can reach up and like, you know, pull them down a can of beans every so often. I feel like I feel like I would make their day being being like a helpful tool in the kitchen because I'm, you know, big, I'm strong, I can help out. And I'm, and I'm great in the kitchen too. So I'm Gryffindor technically, but if I can transfer over to being a house elf, I think that's where I would go. I just don't want to have to work for the Malfoys. Oh, absolutely. We also know um, those games really like their beans. So I think that would complement very well. <laughs> Like all the birdie bots beans and all the games and That's stuff. That's right. Yeah. Basically a bean collector simulator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that, Neil, why don't you introduce us? Let's introduce all four games at the same time here to uh, to save some time. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Starting with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, not the Sorcerer's Stone, was released on December 9th, 2003, developed by Warthog Games. This game is published by EA. It's also on Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, PS1, PS2, Xbox, Windows, Mac OS X. Rates a 6 out of 10, priced today at about $130. It's a move-in tie-in, obviously. Then we had Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, released on November 14th, 2002, developed by Eurocom. This game actually has six devs, depending on what platform you picked it up on published by ea games also on game boy color game boy advance ps1 ps2 xbox windows mac os x rates an 8 out of 10 priced today at around 20 dollars then we have harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban released on may 29th 2004 developed by ea uk published by ea games also on game boy advance windows ps2 and xbox rates a 7 out of 10 priced today at around 20 dollars and finally, we have Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, released on November 8th, 2005, developed by EA UK, published by EA Games, also on Game Boy Advance, Windows, PS2, Xbox, DS, and the PSP. Yeah. Rates a 7 out of 10. Nintendo Power was very generous and gave this game an 8 out of 10, priced today at around $10, and uh, that ends the movie tie-in Harry Potter games on the GameCube. Wow, you are a wizard. <laughs> you're a wizard harry you're a wizard Neela. <laughs> i just realized also that we basically here are hermione uh ron and harry because we're also all gryffindors oh my so, god you know, oh yeah that's yeah, so yeah. cute yeah we, we are the three musketeers do you guys know how those games were rated like who rated them it's a combination we did we basically take a combination of all the reviews so it's basically i simplify metacritic because i don't want to do percentages because that's dumb so i round it up to typically the nearest tenth so I like to I like everything out of ten. So that's where I get the ratings from. Oh, okay, okay. It's not always correct, but uh, it's a po it's the popular opinion. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, all these games were uh, decently rated. Uh, and the big difference, though, is the fact that these games are quite different depending on what platform you played them on. No kidding, I had no idea that they were on Game Boy Color because I had one. But I guess since I had 
two to four on PS2, I was just like, I don't need anything else. I guess it just didn't know it existed. They're very different. I think the Game Boy Color games are actually more like Final Fantasy games, actually. I think I'm getting this right. There was two different, like the Game Boy Color and the Game Boy Advance games are different even in themselves, (laughs) which is interesting. But one type was like a Final Fantasy RPG turn-based game, and the other one is a bit more of like an isometric top-down Game Boy Advance game. So uh, yeah, if you were to play this game, like especially the first two games on PC, GameCube, Game Boy Advance, and Game Boy Color specifically, you'd be getting four very different experiences. No kidding. I didn't even know that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is that the first Harry Potter game, The Philosopher's Stone, actually came out after the Chamber of Secrets game, but before the Prisoner of Azkaban. So if you had a GameCube, you had a really weird, <laughs> a really weird launch cycle of having the second game come out, then the first game come out, then the third game come out. So I think that that's one of the reasons why you see the the first Harry Potter game being so expensive on GameCube because it just didn't um, have a huge print run and it obviously did not sell well. So isn't the the first one PC where their faces look like potatoes, but the second one, everything looks really clean? That's yep. right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but it, the first one came out after you were saying? Yeah. On GameCube. On yeah. GameCube so, only. Oh, Gabe. Okay, gotcha. So basically what happened is because the first one came out like November 2001 uh, in mo- for most consoles, GameCube had just come out November 2001. So I guess the thought was, hey... Uh, we don't have this ready for GameCube. We didn't have the dev kit to create this. Uh, let's wait. The fact that they waited two years, though, is uh, mm-hmm. interesting. And the same thing actually happened with Lord of the Rings, where Fellowship came out after. And that's just really based on when the GameCube was uh, coming out at the time. Oh, mm-hmm. Especially in its prime. It's like, what are you waiting for? Right? <laughs> exactly. And the first two Harry Potter games, it's funny because like they don't, it, it don't, reminds me a lot of actually Lord of the Rings again. It reminds me of the Hobbit game where they didn't, quite try and follow the actors likenesses yet in the harry potter games with one and two not until the third one did they try that so like the original two games kind of look like more the book art style especially on the cover like they don't use any of the actors on the covers they're more uh hand-drawn or computer generated animation at least uh the first harry potter game cover looks good until you look at harry and it looks actually quite creepy (laughs) but uh yeah they went with more the and it's even the plot too is a bit more of a mix of the book and the movie uh, just based on timing and everything, they really didn't, they weren't like true movie tie-ins really until the the third movie, which is kind of cool. Um, it would have been neat to have had like a book tie-in for all the books and then to do movie tie-ins for all the movies and have like two Harry Jeez, Potter games yeah, for no. everything. That would have been, that would have been funny, <laughs> but uh, we didn't get that, unfortunately. Interesting switch though. They went from like that very rubbery cartoon look with the uh, uh, Philosopher's Stone and the Chamber of Secrets to then just straight up trying to copy the movies uh, with uh, Prisoner of Azkaban all the way up to Deathly Hallows Part 2. That's so true. I didn't even think about that. I was um, I was taking a glimpse over some like YouTube clips to refresh my memory of all those games. The last one I had played most recently was Goblet of Fire, maybe like two years ago. And even that wasn't even that long ago. And I still don't remember much of it it's just i just play too many games it just went in one year at the other sort of thing <laughs> yeah that's fair goblet of fire might be the i don't know if it's the worst one of the four here but it's it's not great uh, however before we get into these games even more i just want to ask you you know obviously you're a big harry potter fan what's your first memories of this franchise like where did this all start for you Oh my gosh, I'm, you guys are asking me all the questions I was going to ask you. That's such a good question, though. It's such a good question. I definitely saw the movies first. So my first memory of it um, 
was actually with one of my soccer teams. My mom had organized like a a movie outing for the entire team. And we went to go see the first Harry Potter movie. And I guess after that, I, I was definitely more into movies as a kid than books. Like I read them because I liked the movie so much, but it wasn't like a by first choice. I was never one of those kids to like go wait at chapters in line to to get the books as me. they came out. I, I wish Nerd. I was like that, but I wasn't. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Like I, reading, I would like prefer like a picture book, like a graphic novel over like actual a novel novel, right? So I was totally into the movies because of that visual aspect. But yeah, that was my that was my earliest memory for me. What about you guys? Well, we um, for we talked a little earlier on the show, but basically mine was getting the, the trio of books uh, when I was a, a kid and uh, my parents reading them to me. Nice. Was it like a birthday or Christmas gift? Yeah, I think I got it for Christmas or birth. I mean, my birthday is in January, so I get birthmas. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> that sounds disgusting. <laughs> where I get all the presents at once. Uh, but I'm 90% sure it was my mom uh, or dad who got me uh, it for, for Christmas or birthday. And then, yeah, they read it to me. And, uh, and then I eventually was... Uh, I got big enough to read them on my own. <laughs> That's so cute. That's so cute. Yeah, I was way too young to read the first three books when they came out. So I got The Goblet of Fire when that book came out. And then I was like you too, Chelsea, where I couldn't really read these books until after I'd seen the movie. Uh, I think I read every book after the movie until The Half-Blood Prince. That's when I knew what was going to happen before seeing the movie because I had already read The Half-Blood Prince and The Deathly Hallows before those movies came out. But yeah, fell in love with the franchise right right with the first time I saw The Goblet of Fire cover and the first time I saw The Philosopher's Stone. And to this day, still love going back and reading the books through again or rewatching all the movies because, of course, you can't just watch the first movie. You have to go through the entire series in a movie marathon over the course of days weeks or months if you if you will but uh yes. yeah that's kind of our history of the franchise we both really love it and uh still love it to this day yeah that's awesome yeah it's mostly uh i've been hearing in recent years it's a christmas time marathon for most people that's what the traditions become just because like people call the first movie a christmas movie kind of because of the whole sweater scene i think but um, it does feel like a christmas movie to me too i feel like it, it came out uh in like december every year too right so um, like, oh, did it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. A lot of them were like November. I remember them coming out around my sister's birthday, which is uh, end of November. So I think that that's about right. And we would see them on Christmas break. It was, I think, only the last like part two of Deathly Hallows came out in the summer. I remember seeing that after, right after Mike and I finished high school, like a week later. I think we saw Deathly Hallows part two. That was the, one of the only summer Harry Potter films, if I remember correctly. I kind of remember that actually. Yeah. Um. Well, the Harry Potter Legacy game is coming out in December, so maybe they're on to something. I don't know. They're trying to keep that tradition alive, too. <laughs> yeah, trying to keep it alive if if that game comes out in December. December 2023. We'll see that movie <laughs> yeah. game, uh, game come out, for sure. <laughs> one, one more year. Just give it one more year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And back to the games now. Um, Chamber of Secrets, you said that you played uh, back in the day. What are your memories of playing that game on the PS2? I thought it was unreal. Like, I... I just thought the fact that you can explore the entire grounds, castle, fly around. I'm the I'm the kind of player like I love open world games. Um, so I will like go through every single bush, every single bookshelf. Like I will hack and saw stuff just to like figure out like the things you're not supposed to find until you're done everything. Sort of player. So that's what I liked the best because I like just like taking my time, 
looking for stuff and getting all the nooks and crannies as you go along. And this is a perfect game for it just because of, I mean, it's a collectathon in a lot of ways with your, the uh, birdie uh, bots beans uh, that you find everywhere. And I don't know, Neil, maybe you can weigh on this too. Uh, For me, watching gameplay or playing these games, specifically the first and second one, um, because I played these games on PC growing up. uh, Mm. And these ones just give me this massive shot of nostalgia whenever I see them. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I just, I love watching and playing these games still. Yeah, I own the uh, the second one, the Chamber of Secrets on GameCube. So I didn't play it back in the day like Chelsea did. I bought this game earlier this year, late last year. I can't remember when I buy games anymore. Even the ones that I buy recently, it's getting <laughs> kind of weird, actually. I'm not sure what's happening with, with my brain. But they are very simple gameplay uh, games. Like, they're not complicated at all. At the end of the day, they're games for kids, which is which is fun, but there's something between a collectathon and a Zelda game, which is nice. And they're, they're in the Harry Potter world. They don't use any of the actors voices, unfortunately. Oh, that's what that bugs me a little bit. But yeah, there's something really innocent about the story. Like it's very cute and kiddish, uh, but still offers a little bit of challenge to them. Like some of the puzzles are difficult. Um, the combat isn't super hard or anything. And I do love the collecting in the games. Like, like you said, there's the birdie bots, every flavor beans that you collect. I think they also give you health too, in a few of the games. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, what I really like doing is collecting the, um, the chocolate frog cards, which is really neat because you get a, uh, a little synopsis or a summary on every wizard and not just the wizards from the movies, but also wizards like from the Hogwarts, a history or what's it called? Hogwarts, a history book mm-hmm. or something. Uh, and it's like a little fraction of the books that, you know, they, they talk about it in the movie in like one scene and then a couple uh, scenes later in some of the books. But this game really leans into that card collecting uh, craze, I guess, of the 2000s, like kids collecting Pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards. You really want to go around and collect these wizard cards that you have no idea who they are because they're not in the movies, but they still are. I guess these these games are technically canon, so you get to like know a little bit of uh, of all the wizards from the Hogwarts history. I love that part of the game too. Yeah, that's so true. Um, what did you think of all of their voices? I guess playing now, not playing as a kid. Because I remember when I was a kid, it like super bugged me. I'm like, why couldn't they just use their voices? Yeah, that it, I didn't like it. Like, I don't love the voice actors, especially how like you have to hear them talk constantly in these yeah. games because they're constantly saying spells. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's unfortunate that they couldn't get any of the actors to to come back and reprise their roles. I'm not a fan. It's one of the my least favorite part of these games. Unfortunately, uh, how about you, Mike? Did you find anything redeeming about the voice actors? What for me the weird thing was that they there's a lot of just like like just saying some of the spells just saying like we can guardian leviosa like they could have just ripped that dialogue from the game I know. Uh, or from the movie and they didn't uh which I think was a big miss in that because yeah I, even as a kid I I knew you know I especially because uh, as a kid I loved Snape and I loved Alan Rickman. Uh, I just think I still think that is like the, one of the best representations of like a book character ever. <laughs> Oh, he nailed it. He, because he is so iconic. I remember seeing him in the game and hearing him, and it's like this is not Alan Rickman. You know, this is not his voice. I can. It's like it's 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 basically the equivalent of when someone does Darth Vader. It's you you know instantly whether it's Darth Vader, whether it's James Earl Jones or not. Um, so that that took me out of it. The kids were, you know, as a kid, I don't remember it, but playing it again for sure that bugs me. Oh, yeah, because yeah, you're just you know their voices so well to this point. It's been 20, 25 years of watching them. And 
Uh, Professor Snape really is the one that's irreplaceable, like even just recently seeing the play, which was, again, really, really good. Not seeing Alan Rickman, just a different person playing Snape, is hard to wrap your head around. Every other character, it's actually really easy to do. Like, an old man can be Dumbledore, uh, you know, a redhead can be Ron, uh, no no offense, but like, it, it's true. Like, that really is an iconic role from an iconic actor. One thing that I thought would be irreplaceable from the Harry Potter films that they did a really good job of doing is actually the music, which... Obviously, the music in the Harry Potter films is iconically amazing. That's John Williams, I believe, right? That's yeah, Harry Potter? Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, blanking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, John Williams from the Harry Potter uh, movies. This uh, this series uses a different uh, uh, composer. I'll get the name in just a second, but I love the music in these games. One thing, too, um, that's important to kind of talk about is how... So Chelsea played the PS2 version and loved it. And uh, the PS2 version is actually superior in a lot of ways to the Xbox and GameCube ones. Uh, because in the PS2, they have the, the free flight mode, Neil? Yes, they do. They have the free flight free flight mode uh, in the Xbox and GameCube version. But the PS2 version, you can land anywhere you want, which I think is also the same in the PC version, uh, making that more of like an open world game like Spider-Man 2 or something. Uh, but the GameCube and Xbox version, you can only land in designated spots, which is unfortunate. I don't know why that was a technical limitation of the GameCube and not the PS2. Like the GameCube and the Xbox are both equally, if not more powerful than the PS2. So that was a very weird design choice. I would love to have an open world Harry Potter game, which we're hopefully getting, like Chelsea said, with Hogwarts Legacy. Let's get it. I am, I'm <laughs> holding out to buy a PS5 until that game comes out because I have no use to for it otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fair. I, me too. I totally understand that. And uh, for me, uh, one of my favorite parts about uh, the these games was doing the wand motion uh, where you basically had to recreate spells. And what I mean by this for someone who hasn't played this game before or any of these Harry Potter games is that a to create spells and to do spells correctly, uh, there is a pattern that shows up on the screen and you basically have to move the cursor on the PC or your controller, uh, your analog stick around to make sure you get it, uh, you kind of outline it as close as possible. And for me, I loved it because doing this with a mouse is fun and it's easy. But Chelsea, you did this with a, a analog game stick. So how was that? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I was trying to piece together if I had to do it with the analog stick and then like triangle x square circle i can't remember how that coincided with each other but i do it does ring a bell that it would like glow and light up as it like went around the circle and you would have to yeah i remember it being like a really cool thing because i've never done that in a game before like i've never had to be so exact about something if anything i could just compare that to like um mario party when you yeah. have to like out, outline the thing <laughs> With you know what I mean, yeah. like outline the picture with like the, say like the 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 jackhammer, the jackhammer. Yeah. That's what I'm trying. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> but other than that, I think that's like the only other time. But I remember being like easy but tricky but cool at the same time. And then it just got easier after that because they kind of got rid of that, didn't they? The third game, I believe, was when they did that. Mm -hmm. Mike, I'm surprised you haven't brought this up yet, but one of the major video game sins of the 2000s is that they uh, they decided to put the GameCube controller on the screen the entire time. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I again, another reason why I like playing the PC version because I didn't have to see a GameCube controller on the top right corner in the entire, uh, the entire playthrough. I'm assuming they did not do that on the PS2 version. No, I was going to say, what's the reasoning for it? So, just, just so you don't forget what the A button does. There's a big thing with GameCube games, especially earlier ones, 
that they just assumed kids didn't know how to use a GameCube controller. <laughs> uh, maybe this was an N64 carryover because that was a big thing with the N64. No one knew that a Z button existed. Um, but for here uh, and many other games, just to show what A is, what B is, what Y and X are, and kind of constantly pushing you towards these and almost making it e- like easier in a way. But I don't know. For me, I, I, I that always takes me out of the game. Yeah, it's it's not really fun to uh to, to see the, the the HUD in the first two games is quite a bit cluttered, uh, which is mm-hmm. which is again too bad. But um, I think that they were just trying to figure out how to just develop the game, like you said, for for younger audiences. Also, like we've said, the game is on multiple consoles, so it might have just been something for the developers to remember what game they're working on. Yeah, they're underestimating us kids. <laughs> I was thinking about that a lot actually. Like, it must have been really hell for a parent to like be buying a Harry Potter game for their kid because like. Your daughter could have like played a game at a friend's house, played one of the Harry Potter games at a friend's house, not and you as a parent not knowing what console they played it on, and they're like, oh yeah, they yeah. played it on, we played it on PS One, it's really fun, and then you think, all right, great, my kid has a Game Boy Color, I'll buy them this Harry Potter game on their Game Boy Color, and now it's a completely different game or, or vice versa. Like it must have, it, it must be so much easier now, on, other than not being able to know what kind of Xbox your kid wants. Uh, it must be way easier these days to know, like, all right, my kid played. The latest Call of Duty, like at least I know I'm gonna get the same Call of Duty experience on every single uh, console that I buy it on. Like the, the these games, it's kind of neat actually to be a Harry Potter game collector because you have you don't have too many games. Like we've said, there was 27 Harry Potter games, but you have multiple versions of all the games, which is kind of neat. It's almost like playing a different game every single time. I actually think I have memories of someone in my one of my college classes playing one of these Harry Potter Game Boy Color games on their. Um, on their laptop during class because I remember a turn-based <laughs> game going on in front of me and I could have sworn it was Harry Potter but I did not know that there was like turn-based strategy Harry Potter games and really funny weird memory unlock right there but I wish I knew that that would have been me <laughs> <laughs> just passing away the college time just we weren't playing, learning anything useful there <laughs> playing the Harry Potter on a laptop yeah right now I'm really enticed to find it on a uh, Game Boy Color I want to or at least watch a playthrough just to see what it's like because I still have my Game Boy Color it's still kicking I'm sure it's pretty good I'm sure it's pretty good but yeah, um, yeah. But for Prisoner of Azkaban now, let's move on to that uh, that game. So Prisoner of Azkaban, for me, is my favorite book and movie. I love Azkaban so much. Um, the game I wasn't huge about playing it again this week. I never played this as a kid. I only played the first two as a kid. But uh, Chelsea, what, what are your memories about playing Prisoner of Azkaban? Honestly, all of my memories just go back to Chamber of Secrets because I thought it was like the best. My memory kind of fades after after that to be honest like it kind of they just kind of blend together i don't know yeah yeah that's that's totally fair because yeah the after chamber of secrets like neil said they kind of went towards a more realistic or attempted realistic graphics where yeah they do try and take the actor's likeness a lot more it's a lot less storybooky Mm -hmm. Uh, in a way and it's more uh trying to copy a lot of the trends for different games that were out at the time the one cool thing is the ability to play as all the all three different characters and you have that again in goblet of fire but that's one of the only big differences uh, between the games yeah the game takes out uh quidditch like i said earlier uh you fly buckbeak in this one instead of a broom which is kind of neat uh like you said mike you can play as the other characters which is neat you can play as ron and hermione uh, and while they're doing some other level, Harry is playing Quidditch off screen, which was an interesting choice. I think it would have been nice to have still had Quidditch in the game. 
Unfortunately, they did take that out. Just like a little bit of it. Just yeah, yeah. The soundtrack again is really good. It was Jeremy Soul was the name of the, uh, the the game composer. So have to give a shout out to him. He did a great job. Again, I think that the voice acting is and graphics are vastly improved over the last two games. I'm glad that they went more in the film uh, likeness. I guess root if you will. Um, it still doesn't sound like uh, Daniel Radcliffe or Emma Watson or Rupert Grint, but it's better, I suppose. The Harry Potter voice actor is Tom Attenborough, who also voiced Christopher Robin in the Tigger movie, in case you're interested. And uh, wow. Tom Attenborough, uh, that's David Attenborough's grandson. Oh, wow. That's so. interesting. Has he, has he been in anything else since these games? I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the castle itself also is, uh, it's different. It's not quite as like rubbery or bright as the uh, the first two games were. It's It looks like a bit darker. Actually, it kind of starts to take on more of like a Twilight Princess kind of gameplay or at least twi- Twilight Princess environmental design. It's like the darker, grittier, realistic Harry Potter game as opposed to the cartoony Wind Waker style of Zelda game, which is... Uh, which is funny. And, uh, oh, in my notes here, I have the controller is still on screen, which is just bloody irritating. <laughs> yeah. Sucks for you guys. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sucks to be a GameCube uh, Harry Potter fan, unfortunately. But another thing that's really cool that they added to this game that I really liked was the, um, there's a grapple hook spell, which is really neat. Uh, it allows you to zip across large gaps, which is very Zelda inspired. I love grapple hook in a video game. Just to be able to zip across screen like Spider-Man, really good stuff. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. The last fight in this game, though, that actually kind of it actually kind of freaks me out. Uh, I'm going to talk about a final final boss fight in this one, which is, of course, spoiler alert. At the end of uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, you've had time now to uh, to to read it, watch it, and play it. <laughs> but uh, you fight against the Dementors, and this level is actually terrifying. I don't know if you guys watched or have seen gameplay of it, but uh, the Dementors come, they catch you, and like the screen shakes like uncontrollably and quite like it, it's quite unsettling actually. And you hear Harry's parents like screaming at Voldemort, like they're dying. Uh, it, it's really kind of violent, actually. It, it, it takes you out. It, it definitely takes the horrific parts of the third movie and book and brings it into the video game, which, like, the first two movies are all very bright and colorful. Like Chelsea said, they're very Christmas movie, actually. Like, But once you get to the yeah. third book movie and game, it becomes more like, these are Halloween books and movies, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it captured that cool. really well. The rest of the game is fairly, you know, cookie-cutter video game, but the ending uh, boss fight was actually pretty cool. Did um the GameCube controllers have like a rumble pack or like like have motion to them? Yep. Built in yeah, rumble. rumbling. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I guess that was on top of the spooky dementors, your Yeah. <laughs> your controllers rumbling on everything else. Yeah, that was one of the things with this, because I I did play this game. I didn't get to the end. Uh I was actually getting really frustrated playing this on GameCube. I picked it up recently. Uh, just to to play it for this this episode, and I found it was really hard to get the spells to work properly. Uh, it no longer was that retra- like tracing the the lines on the screen. It was uh, not button mashing, but using kind of button combinations and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of guiding the spells sometimes, especially when you're doing uh, the Patronus uh, spells at the end or in the beginning as well when you're fighting Dementors. Uh, and so that that kind of disappointed me. I think my biggest thing honestly with this movie or with this game is that it's impossible to meet my expectations yeah. because I, I i just think prisoner of azkaban is perfect like the, the 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 movie and and honestly the book too so uh it was almost impossible to create a perfect game as well i know too good to be true it's one of my favorite uh movies as well i think it's between that and goblet of fire just because of all the the tournament and stuff Goblet of Fire is is fantastic. Goblet of Fire is when I definitely learned that I liked uh, girls. 
<laughs> and dragons and mike got a chance to try and uh, hit on girls in the gamecube version of the goblet of fire which is nice this is the last harry potter game on the gamecube and it's the first one to actually allow three-player co-op which i can't believe it took them that long to figure <laughs> that out but the goblet of fire unfortunately did away with the um the zelda influence and this is much more of an action adventure linear story i actually kind of it kind of reminds me a lot of the fantastic four game that we talked about a long time ago, but one of those basically four-player, or in this case, three-player beat-em-ups where you go through the levels with your with your friends, one person playing as Harry, one as Hermione, and one as Ron. And unfortunately, this was not quite well-received by the, uh, I guess, moderately-sized fan base of the Harry Potter video games. A lot of people did like the way the old Harry Potter games were going with the open-world Zelda-like gameplay. Uh, they did away with that, made it a bit more linear. Chelsea, did you did you enjoy this change of gameplay style, or were you more of like a did you like the old school kind of open world style? It's definitely my favorite type of gameplay is like open world, but I did like how they were more realistic looking, and then they were always around you, like you're always doing stuff together. But I, from what I remember, when I played it about two years ago, it was a little frustrating when you're like trying to move blocks around together and stuff. Like it would kind of get glitchy in one. One of the computer players, like, I don't know, if I'm Ron and then Harry's off to the side, he's, like, getting stuck in between it and then we can't move. And then I have to move to the other side of the block just to move the stupid thing, just to go for, like, move two seconds forward, sort of. But Classic Ron. It was, it was a good switch up, but definitely not my favorite. Yeah, I like listening to the uh, the dialogue actually between the characters talking to each other and bantering to each other while they're fighting or trying to solve puzzles. That actually kind of reminded me of Star Fox 64, going back to our <laughs> conversations last week. Like someone's getting in trouble and they need help fighting off whatever yeah. it was. Like, you know, cast a spell to help me out, Harry. It's like this yeah. basically is Slippy needing help at all times and it's bugging me. Um <laughs> Still not the original uh, character, or not the original actors with their roles, with their likenesses, unfortunately, which would have been nice at this point. Like, the characters are all pretty good actors, too. Like, at this point in the movie franchise, the the kids have all, they're all growing up. Mike's getting attracted to some of them. We won't say which ones, I suppose. <laughs> um, but the game actually came with one general movie admission as well, which is rare that we actually what? see a general admission to a movie uh, with a good movie, unlike the Haunted Mansion that we talked about last year on <laughs> Halloween. If you picked up a copy of this game new, maybe you can still find them now you'd get a free general movie admission which is kind of neat i really want that to come back to video games that is so cool i didn't mine didn't come with that that's for sure maybe it wasn't not a ps2 thing that's the only thing we didn't get (laughs) maybe maybe yeah the you you mentioned obviously how kind of this is a more mature game in a lot of senses because obviously they're all kind of growing up we're in the fourth movie now i think it works that they they went to this art style and they went to this kind of gameplay uh because the the people the kids who are playing this are grown up too you know it, it we it starts off with that kind of platformy style of gameplay and then we kind of get more and more uh this kind of gritty style especially with the graphics and the, and and how everything is portrayed on screen with the environments and also yeah the books of course get a little more high stakes uh, if you will mm-hmm it's a great point. Like the books definitely grow with the fan base. The movies definitely grow with the fan base, but the, the games definitely kind of stay stagnant and actually decline. We won't talk about any more of the movie tie-ins now, but if you look at the Metacritic and the reviews for these games, they do get progressively worse. I think Order of the Phoenix is actually on par with the Goblet of Fire, but after that with the Half-Blood Prince and especially the Deathly Hallows part one and part two, uh, it just gets worse and worse. I'm surprised that they split the Deathly Hallow into two video games, to be honest. They, they followed the movie. I can't imagine. Like two movie tie-ins. Technically, they are two independent movies, but 
I I would have definitely considered at EA just like, look, let's just combine these two games together, please. Like, don't make people buy the same bad game twice. It uh, did not end well for them, unfortunately, and did not end well for EA UK either. They actually went defunct. Uh, they were a studio from 1997 to 2011, which oddly enough is the mm. year the first Harry Potter book came out and the year the last Harry Potter movie came out. <laughs> so their lifespan was the exact same amount of time as the Harry Potter series. Oh, no. <laughs> it's okay i think they probably got folded into another ea studio yeah, yeah. to make battlefield or something <laughs> yeah it's kind of crazy to me that like there were more games after goblet of fire uh i, I don't know about you guys but i didn't hear about any of them when no. uh when i was you know watching the movies reading the books like i, I didn't even know an order of the phoenix game came out i i definitely didn't know deathly hallows part one and two came out the only one i knew about was uh, lego harry potter yeah, it's exactly the same thing. I don't know if it's because I stopped getting Christmas gifts or something. <laughs> like, I yeah, I didn't get anything. I didn't play anything after Goblet of Fire, or yeah, or that. And then I played yeah, I played the Lego, the Lego Harry Potter games on my Switch. And so let's let's talk about that just for a second. Obviously, this is a GameCube podcast, but we do like to give the Switch some love, of course, because of Nintendo. Uh, how were those games? I went into it with zero expectations because I was like, eh, Lego, I thought it was more, I thought it was more driven towards kids, which it probably is. But even at the time, I don't know, like two years, I played it during lockdown. So two years ago, it was like a late 20 year old. I was like, yeah, this is, this is my jam. Like I'm playing this every day until I beat this game. I like it. And and now basically is that game kind of like Star Wars Skywalker Saga where it's like all the movies together? Yeah, so I believe they it's two parts and I think it's you do years 1 to 4 and then 5 to 7 if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um yeah, and I think um there are some parts where it feels open world but it's not. Like it does make you go through certain steps without getting past a certain part. Um and sometimes it's left to right, and then sometimes it's open world. So it's kind of a it's kind of a good mix, actually. Yeah, the the castle acts as like a hub world in that game. I I've played a little mm. bit of it. Mm. I played a bit of it with my uh, with my girlfriend. I think she hundred percented that game actually. So I kind of saw bits and pieces of it. I I bowed out after. I think we finished year one and two together, and then she she went back and collected everything from the rest of the game, <laughs> the other ninety five yeah. percent of the game. She was a champ and went through and collected absolutely everything. But yeah, basically you go through the um the hub world, and then you you can select the year that you want to play as, and then you you go back and you select the the levels that you want to go through and play, and just like any other lego game there's there's a lot of attention to detail and subtle references to things there's a lot of different things to collect if you want to so mike Mm -hmm. i think if your comparison to the skywalker saga is a is a good one it is it's a game for kids at the end of the day it's you know single camera and easy puzzles and pretty basic combat but if you're a fan of lego you're a fan of harry potter and you like easy video games then definitely a good thing to pick up on switch i think it's pretty cheap too we might have got it for like 20 bucks Oh yeah, that goes on sale all the time. And I also like had all of the Harry Potter Lego stuff as a kid, so I was like, I I just have to play. I just have to see what it's about. Yeah, for sure. I still have well, I have Lego Pro- uh, Lego Harry Potter uh stuff, but uh unfortunately, I destroyed a lot of mine and like put it into different bins. So you're like, <laughs> how do I build this? <laughs> yeah. So I've been uh, I got a couple bins from my parents' house and I've been trying to slowly put it together. Uh, so right now I have, uh, I think it's Dumbledore's kind of area, his, his, 
Yeah, uh, uh, with the the staircase that goes up and the phoenix is there. Uh, I have the um, uh, Ron's house with the car, but it's only like half built. That's so <laughs> cool, though. I never had the car. Yeah, I the car. <laughs> so I kind of had the car built, and I was like, oh, it's done. But I realized that it was the car on top of the train from Spider Man. <laughs> what? <laughs> Gliding worlds there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, hey, this is the best thing to do when you're a kid is you know you try and put them together. So <laughs> give give Disney ten or twenty more years, and we'll see something like that in a film. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. They're working on it. The alt the ultimate crossover. Uh, young Mike was trying to make. So <laughs> Mike needs to cool it on that. <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, that is those are the Harry Potter games that um, we wanted to talk about with you, Chelsea. Is there anything else about these games or Harry Potter in general that you'd like to say before we let you go? Yeah, I was just going to ask if you guys have been to the Wizarding World at all, either of them. Well, uh, I have been to the one in California, which is smaller. It's not as big as the Florida one, but Neil is going to the Florida one in early 2023. I am. I'm really excited. We have our uh, our trip booked. We're going in January of next year, so we're going to spend a day in Universal, and I think most of that will be in uh, in the Wizarding World. So uh, obviously, Chelsea, you oh. have been before; otherwise, you wouldn't have brought it up. So what what are the highlights? Like, what do I need to do when I'm there? Oh my God! Don't even get me started. I've been. I think I've been five times now. It's, <gasps> yeah. it's you're on your six now. So obviously, I recommend you need a park to park ticket especially since they released the new Hagrid's motor bike ride. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a must. You have to go on that. It will definitely have the longest lines because it's still the newest. Um, so just make an effort of getting on that ride because it's friggin' awesome. I think it's like my favorite roller coaster of all time and I'm big on theme parks. Okay. So Wow. Yeah, Mike and I, we both love going to Wonderland to go on coasters. So I'm stoked to try that ride. And I also want to try a Butterbeer. Uh, is that worth uh, checking out? absolutely and i'm gonna recommend you get okay it would be nice if the both of you got one frozen butterbeer and one regular butterbeer to taste the difference but in my opinion Mm. the frozen butterbeer is where it's at oh frozen butterbeer i didn't even know that was an option okay good good tip no it's so and you can get (laughs) pumpkin juice which is also super cool i think i'm just gonna like gain 100 pounds when i'm uh, when i'm at harry potter (laughs) i'm just gonna be trying all their can like all the can everything looks so tasty in harry potter movies and and, uh they go to like the candy store and they've got like cakes all the time see this is why i would be a good house elf right (laughs) i have two funny stories about harry potter world Mm -hmm. um the first one is so harry potter world opened in 2011 i believe and my parents went there without me in 2011 <gasps> rude how rude uh what happened was uh i would you know it was my first year of university and i usually would call my parents once a week to you know let them know i'm still alive and i remember calling them in this was the first week of january i think i had just come back uh or i had just gone back to school maybe first or second week and I called them and I just was, Hey, like I'm still alive. (laughs) And, um, my parents were like, yeah, that's great. We're in Florida. We're at Harry Potter world. I was like, what? Like we're going to buy the books. We're not going to bring you with us. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I guess I'd finally gotten out of the house. So they're like, Oh, finally we can have a vacation without him. (laughs) And they pick like the one vacation you'd want to go with them on. I, I know. I was so upset, but they did give me an amazing uh, Harry Potter scarf, Gryffindor scarf cool. that I still have to this day. 
Uh, I wear it all the time. And I've been now that I've been there, I got to say my scarf is way better than the ones that they have now. Isn't it crazy? Like the things that change in the shops over time, I feel like every three months they have new merchandise. It's, it's crazy. And I think just like, because they went there when it was so new and it just opened that the, the scarves and everything was super high quality. Mm-hmm. And just now it's, it's a little cheaper, but I mean, they're still really nice, but I, I can kind of be like, Ooh, like I got this, uh, this really nice one. And Authentic. my second funny story is when I went to the one, the wizarding world in California, uh, we went on the, I don't know what ride, I guess it's just like the big ride that you go into the Hogwarts castle mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is really cool because the waiting area is <sighs> you going through the halls nice. of Hogwarts, which is just an amazing way to do yeah. it because you don't even feel like you're waiting. And we went on the ride and the the ride basically ends with you on the broom, like playing Quidditch. And then, I don't know, something happens. I forget what happens. But basically, we got stuck oh, no. <laughs> in midair. They just stopped the ride oh, no. and then you just see all the screens. No, ruined. <laughs> Absolutely ruined. That no. takes you out of it. <laughs> the illusion and then it was about like maybe a minute and then it just starts up again and it just it's just dumbledore waving at us (laughs) (laughs) it's like you did it and we're like no no. what do we do we don't know how it ended mike's like 24 years old crying because like his harry potter experience (laughs) has been ruined (laughs) oh man that's too bad man that's such a good point about the the walkthrough of the rides though like obviously so there's like, a, you can do a single riders or you can do like the regular wait time. I totally recommend if you want to get like two rides in, you do the regular lineup. But if you do the single riders, um, then you don't get the whole experience of the queue. The queue is different. You get like a short version of it. Um, mm. But it is a good way of getting on rides fast if you've already experienced the whole walkthrough part. Yeah, we'll for sure be using whatever fast pass technology we can get our hands on, definitely, so that we can get on as many things as possible, because I am an adult, and I don't want to stand in lines anymore. Yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. Mm-hmm. This is this is why I make money. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is the only reason why I make money. <laughs> Just to Well, Chelsea, it. thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, we had a great time talking to you about Harry Potter. We will be talking about Harry Potter, I'm sure, many more times on this podcast when we branch off into other things after the gamecube uh so we would love to have you back on to talk more about harry potter then but we'll give you this time to plug your own podcast that you host yeah well first of all thank you very much for having me i uh, totally agree we'll have to reconvene after we've all had a chance to maybe play the new uh legacy game mm-hmm. that would be a a good catch-up i think yep. um but yeah, I have a podcast called Caesar Sunday with my best friend who is also named Chelsea, but we spell it differently. Yeah, we uh, post maybe once a month now because we've gotten quite busy, but basically our premise is just shooting the shit and just talking about random stuff and we laugh and you can laugh with us or you can not find it funny. You can just, you know, just <laughs> to each their own. It's just a good time, honestly, just to record and put out creative stuff you know what i mean so oh we we do as uh you know we're the same way we uh try and make people laugh and try and make, make people informed but if yeah if you don't like it then go my favorite are the people that don't like us but they've listened to every episode that's why i love getting those messages <laughs> yeah. it's like well that's an inch i don't know what to take out of that but all right i guess you're that's an opinion and uh we appreciate your listening Keep the views up thank you yeah. <laughs> great well thank you so much chelsea for coming on always fun to have a fellow podcaster join us to talk about something cool from their childhood but uh with that we still have one more game to cover so uh thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to having you on again real soon
thank you so much, guys. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you very much, Chelsea, for coming on today, uh, who hosts the uh, co-hosts the Caesar Sunday podcast, a very funny podcast with her and her friend Chelsea, who I also know, who's also mm. a great person uh, and uh, doesn't know Harry Potter as well as this Chelsea, though. So that's why we just had the one Chelsea. Our show can only handle one Chelsea at a time, Neil. Yeah, no, we can't have two. If we had two Chelseas on, this is already hard enough to have, to have four people at a time, two of them being named Chelsea. We'd have to do like the last name. I'd have to give them like a number. And that's that's no good. We don't want to have to do that. So, but yeah, no, really nice to have Chelsea come on. A big uh, Potter head, if you want to call yourself that. I love, I, you know, that's a good, that, that's not a derogatory term yet, right? Um, but yeah, no, good to talk about some of the old games from, uh, from yesteryear. And I like what you said, Mike, about how... Um, like after the Goblet of Fire, you had no idea there were any games after that. I I'm like you. I don't. I I can picture seeing the Prisoner of or the um the uh, Half Blood Prince, not the Half Blood Prince. What the Order heck am I? Order of the Phoenix yeah, on the, like too. Wii shelves and one of the Deathly Hallow games from time to time. I'm not sure I've ever seen a uh, a Half Blood Prince game anywhere. No, because I uh, for a second, like when I was researching this, I honestly thought that it might not have just ever come out. They might have just given up because. The thing was too is that these games or the these movies were starting to come out into this new era of where movie tie-ins were bad. Like we're not well, they were all, a lot of them were bad anyways. But yeah. movie tie-ins weren't done anymore. Studios didn't want to waste their money on movie tie-ins. Like two thousand seven, two thousand eight is kind of where the peak ends, mm-hmm. uh, and we didn't really like it was a huge cliff. We didn't really get them at all anymore after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, that's why it was kind of interesting that they did keep making them. But I, I'm sure they had some kind of contract. Oh, definitely. It's just crazy to think, like we said at the beginning of the show, tenth biggest uh, franchise movie, you know, media franchise of all time, and the budget behind these games just looks so small. Like, like even watching some PC footage of some of these games, like the some in some scenes, like cutscenes, they don't have necks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, what was the what was the like? Did you guys QA any of this? Like, like what what happened here? And like we said, you know, the voice acting is a little bit irritating. Really, the only standout thing is like the gameplay is somewhat fun in the earlier games, and the music is is really bang music's on. Great. Yeah, yeah, the music's great too. And well, the gameplay in Chamber of Secrets, I think specifically. Mm. Well, you're gonna see which one I recommend. <laughs> the <laughs> gameplay in Chamber of Secrets specifically, I think, with like the Hogwarts gameplay, is what I really, really love about yeah. that game. Like, there's something like Chelsea mentioned it about the open world style, but see, the open world style within a confined space i think is something that is a really hard thing to do well and that very few games were able to pull it off especially a game that's set in in a fictional universe that we all know very well because of the movie Mm -hmm. uh and they pull it off terrifically like it's so much fun to go from floor to floor in chamber of secrets with the uh the with the the staircases yeah, it's it's crazy to think that like we we're now in 2022, looking forward to Hogwarts Legacy, and like you said, like an open world game in a in a confined space. What came to mind instantly for me was Arkham Asylum, like yes. an Arkham Asylum style game set in Hogwarts would be, dude. Just thinking about that. Okay, I need to stop thinking about that right now because <laughs> we, we kind need to of get got it with Chamber of Secrets just you know ten years earlier. Yeah, kind. of. I mean, like I want. I, it's just it's just irritating that we've had games like Arkham Asylum. We've had you know The Witcher and uh, Skyrim. Some of these more, uh, I guess, magical worlds exist, and nothing in Harry Potter. But I know. we have high hopes for uh, for Hogwarts Legacy, and can't wait to talk to Chelsea about it once we've played it, beat it, and we'll review it at some point in the year 2026. But in the meantime, Mike, let's hit the back of the cases for these four games, and we'll move on to our last game of the day. What do you think? That sounds good, Neil. All right. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. 
And now we're reading The Back of the Case. A magical new first-year adventure help Harry uncover the secret of the Sorcerer's Stone in this brand new game for the Nintendo GameCube. Encounter strange creatures such as the Venomous Tarantula, Devil's Snare, and Mutated Guy Trash. I don't even know what that is. Enhance your wizarding powers with the Spongify Spell Challenge. Explore even more exciting locations including Ollivander's Wand Shop and Hagrid's Garden. Prepare for an extraordinary climactic final encounter with the dreaded you-know-who. Moving on to Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. 3D Puzzle Adventure. Dare you return to Hogwarts? TM. Be Harry Potter and unlock the mystery at the heart of the Chamber of Secrets. A brand new 3D adventure with the freedom to explore fantastically rich environments. Go deeper into Harry's world, a faithful representation of the magical world of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Fly to Hogwarts in a flying car and learn exciting new spells, including Scourge, Defendo, and Spongify. Featuring wizarding duels, a dueling club, Quidditch, and all your favorite characters from the Chamber of Secrets, including Ron, Hermione, and Gilderoy Lockhart. That's yeah, actually a pretty good back of the case. Yeah, they're, they're all they're all pretty decent. They well, I have uh, I have one here, Neil, because um, I do have Prisoner of Azkaban. Do you mind if I read this one? Sure, it's a short one, so have fun. <laughs> Very short. Uh, the Dementors are coming in huge letters, mm-hmm. uh, and then it says, uh, "And this time, Harry needs his friends." So we do get to play as Harry and Hermione here, and it says that they're on the box face the Dementors. There's mini games. Fly Buckbeak, Buckbeak TM, which was very interesting. Mm. I didn't know that. And connect to the Game Boy Advance. What, what, what does, uh, uh, what's like the features? Do you know for Prisoner of Command GBA? I do. We'll get to that in just a quick moment. Oh, okay. But first, we'll hit the back of the case for Goblet of Fire, and then we'll circle back because, uh, not, not enthralling. I'll give you that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Can you master the magic? Experience the excitement of the movie when you play as Harry, Ron, and Hermione in a breathtaking adventure packed with action and magic. Combine your magic and play with up to two friends to create more powerful charms and jinxes. Experiment with magic. Explore the world of Hogwarts to discover new spell uses and combinations. Compete in the Triwizard Tournament facing the deadly Hungarian Horntailed Dragon, the icy depths of the Black Lake, and an enchanted maze. I like on the back of the uh, Prisoner of Azkaban one, it says, this time Harry needs his friends, as if he never needed his friends before then. Like, he's all on he, his own, baby. Oh, yeah, he's he's done nothing on his own since the day he was born. Even his parents <laughs> needed his help dying. But, uh... <laughs> Anyway, the uh, the Game Boy Advance yeah. capability. So that actually did not start until the Chamber of Secrets game, where it allows you access to two secret zones where you can find new cards to collect uh, on the GameCube. Uh, the Gringotts Bank is also available after you have met a certain criteria on the Game Boy Advance, so that's a playable area. Uh, without the Game Boy Advance game, you can play a puzzle on your Game Boy Advance by connecting it to the GameCube. So very minimal effort there, but I wasn't really expecting all that much. And there's also some uh, some Game Boy Advance cross capability with the Harry Potter game, which is Harry Potter Quidditch World Cup. So, Mike, we might as well move on and talk to that game right now. What do you think? Let's do it, Neil. I own this game. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So you're going to be able to talk a lot about it. Harry Potter, the Quidditch World Cup, was released on October 28th, 2003, developed by EA UK, RIP, published by EA Games. It's also on Game Boy Advance, Windows, PS2, and Xbox. There's actually a Japanese version of this game, too, which is really interesting. I'd love to see Harry Potter in Japan. Uh, (laughs) Rates a 7 out of 10, priced today at around $15, and this is kind of a movie tie-in game, but it's also technically an extreme sports game. 
Now, Mike, before we talk about the Quidditch game, I have to talk to you about a rabbit hole I fell down briefly while researching Ooh. for this podcast. Are you familiar with real-world Quidditch? Yes, I am. Uh, my university had Quidditch. There was a Quidditch team, and I had a friend who was on the Quidditch team. Of course you did. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> the first time I saw it, where I was walking through uh, the University of Toronto campus, going to go see one of my sister's plays or something, and I was, it was a weeknight, and I was, uh, I was caught off guard, because on the corner of my eye, I could see a group of people playing rugby. As I got closer, it was not rugby. I noticed that they had broomsticks between their legs, and they were chasing around a guy dressed in gold, and it was Quidditch played on on foot. Yeah, it's you know what? It's pretty amazing that that actually has become a sport in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it was created in 2005 in Middlebury College in uh, Vermont. The game is played on a rectangular pitch, 60 by 36 yards or 55 by 33 meters for our Canadian listeners. There's three hoops of varying height at either end. The ultimate goal is to have more points than the other team by the time the snitch, which is a tennis ball inside of a long sock hanging from the shorts of an impartial official dressed in yellow, is caught. <laughs> <laughs> that's my I favorite can't read just, that like, without laughing. just like just a man in gold running around i love the thought of this and visually it's quite impressive to watch it's actually very violent it's more like wrestling mixed with rugby mixed with quidditch i suppose uh since warner technically owns the rights to the name of the game the, the game is also known as quick ball quicker quid strike and quadruball so uh, check out your campus sign-up board, I guess. You might have a Quidditch team at your school already to play. If not, go and check out YouTube. There's lots of gameplay to uh, go check out. Also, the Wikipedia page is absolutely massive. So this is basically a, an official sport. Maybe someday we'll see it in the Olympics. But until then, we do have a GameCube game that we can uh, watch and play. Mike, you've played this game, so give me a rundown of Quidditch on GameCube. Yeah, thanks to friend of the show, Kirsten, for getting me Quidditch uh, on the GameCube. She found it, and uh, she knew that I wanted to play this before the episode, so I played it a couple weeks ago. I played it for a while, and it's a game that looks really good at first, and there's a lot in it. Like, I really wasn't sure what I was getting into, because, like we said, we had Quidditch in the other games, but then it was removed for Prisoner of Azkaban, because that's basically when this takes place. Yep. Quidditch World Cup is kind of between Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire. Uh, and uh, it's like the presentation is great. There's a lot of uh, a lot of characters in this game. One thing that I was really interested in, in the menu systems, all the menus, they actually talk to you about each kind of option. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anytime you're moving over from from option to option, there's a character, a real life character from the movies. Uh, who actually is there to explain to you what this option is and has so has the voice acting and the animation just to explain these options and each ex- explanation is at least like a minute two minutes long so like there's a lot of of love and care put into the presentation uh and graphics and everything of this game but the the biggest issue is just the gameplay is not that fun mm. uh at the end of the day there's just a not there's just not a lot going on my number one problem with it for sure is the fact that you have to unlock moves and this is just a stupid stupid idea i don't know who thought of this i i i can only assume that they built the game and then someone uh, some higher up said oh no we need to make this so that people are playing it for a long time so they have to go through the story Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's how you unlock these uh, moves because when you start the game when you play quick play the uh 
it it shows you the like the you know the the loading screen shows you the GameCube controller as as any sports game does, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it shows you what moves you have. And all I saw at first was pass, uh, shoot, and tackle, and I was like, okay. Mario you Strikers, know. I got this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was honestly like, okay, that's fine. You know, they're they're going to do a really simple version of this game, fine. Uh, but then I realized that where are the bludgers? Where's the quaffle? Where's like there's there's uh, there's so many different things that we're missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that from the, what makes Quidditch Quidditch. You know, how can I control the goalie? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and then I realized as I was playing the story mode of this uh, of this game, which basically is you're trying to go through Hogwarts to be the best in Hogwarts, and then you have to go through the World Cup to be the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, just an aside, nice sidebar here, is they have a whole bunch of teams from the world. So there's the, yep. the Bulgarian team, the French team, the American team, uh, all these other, like, I think there's like 10 international teams. Yeah, I think it's nine. There's England, United States, Japan, Germany, France, Australia, Nordic team, Spain, and Bulgaria. Yeah. And there, Bulgaria, I think, is the last one you have to unlock because, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, because of the movie. But uh, th- whoever did it, they actually made logos for mm-hmm. all of them. And stadiums, uh, too. And stadiums. And, like, really, like, the logos are really cool. I was really impressed by, like, the graphic design for all that. And, again, just a lot of love and care put into the presentation of this game. But, yeah, back to the you know, the, the story. So you're trying to get through the World Cup as well. And once you do that, then you can start unlocking all the different moves. Because you have to go through these, basically, these tutorials with mm-hmm. each player from the Gryffindor team who's going to teach you, you know, how to... Uh, how to properly use these moves, uh, and which is cool, but why wouldn't you just have these moves unlocked immediately in quick play? I get not having the moves unlocked in story mode. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But not having them unlocked in quick play just feels so weird because uh, I-, I couldn't figure it out, and then I realized, like, oh, my God, now I see a new loading screen, and now I see more and more, uh, more <laughs> controls on this. Like, there is yeah. a bludger uh, now and everything, so, yeah. Yeah, the game kind of slowly gets... like piecemealed out to you which is funny how you said like you know there's a lot of great in-depth tutorials and i guess that that makes sense because if you would only watch the movies the movies don't do a terrific job of explaining an entire sport to you you have that one scene with oliver wood and that's basically it in the books they explain it a little more in depth but to to explain an entire sport that doesn't exist it's a fictional sport at the end of the day like they really did need to hit you over the head with tutorials and rules in the in the yeah. load screens or in the options so like this is kind of the first sports game i think that we've talked about where it's it's a video game based on a fictional sport and that's not even something that you see on a on a regular basis now this might be one of few games that exist like the closest thing i can think of is when like a game like the witcher puts out that game gwent which is a card yes. game you know based on a fictional card game yeah. uh something like that it's it, it's not typically it's not typical and in this in this era it's definitely not typical to do something like this so really interesting uh way of doing it i love like you said the um the different logos and stadiums like that is just such a cool look into the wizarding world like i said with chelsea there like having the option to you know collect cards in the old games gives you a look back on all the old wizards this gives you a look onto different parts of the world and that's really what i wanted them to do after harry potter was to look at all the different schools and like what does the japan you know uh what does the japan wizard school look like what does the australia wizard school look like instead we get 1920s america or whatever uh with fantastic (laughs) beasts which uh that's a shame but nevertheless i loved watching the the world cup mode 
that's really where this game shines is being yes. able to go to these different stadiums and, and play and you can you can uh they have different difficulties as well which is a neat way of doing it was you you select the broom that you're going to use you have the comet 260 which is easy the nimbus 2000 the classic broom which is medium the nimbus 2001 which is hard and then finally you get harry's firebolt with the on the very hard mode so really cool little like nice touches there that they did and like the opening cut scene is also pretty hype like every sports game has yes, to have is. a hype opening opening cut scene but then you know, as soon as uh, this, you know, fake imposter Harry Potter starts talking to you, that's really when it starts to fall apart is when you have this guy who says he's Harry, but he's he's no Harry Potter talking to you. Yeah, yeah that that didn't take me out of it that much more like because it took me out of it in the actual games based on the movies, but not as much in this one. I mm. found just because I know what I'm there for. So I was like, I don't care what you sound like. I just want to play uh, Two of my biggest qualms. One is definitely the biggest, but my other two biggest are. The fact that the tackle button, A, uh, is just so overpowered. Uh, <laughs> there's basically just no way, like, there's no way to stop it. So it kind of negates the use of using, like, bludgers at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a big, that was a big miss for me because that's something that's really unique about Quidditch. You know, where do you have a game where you can, like, basically uh, bat a ball to someone and hit them, you know, mm-hmm. and take the ball and take the waffle from them? Uh, that that would have made it so much cooler, but instead it's way easier to just press A when you're near someone and just you automatically take it from them. Yeah. Uh, so that, and also the fact that like making a 3d game, it is very hard for one, like making a game where you fly around and the, the plane is full 3d instead mm-hmm. of, you know, a game like football or hockey, a very just standard uh, game where there's, there's just one surface. You're mostly going one direction uh, here you can really go anywhere, so that would have been uh, quite a challenge for the devs. But yeah, the ultimate thing that is the biggest miss in this game is the snitch, catching the golden snitch. Yeah, that one, that was a problem, because you have to, how does it work again in this one? I, I get it mixed up a lot, because the the way you play Quidditch in the first two games is very different, different than the way yeah. you play Quidditch in this game, and I actually prefer the way that you play Quidditch in the, in the video <laughs> games. They make it more like basically Superman 64, where you're flying through uh shrinking rings and uh and that's how you catch the snitch which is neat but how how do they do it in in this game so what happens in this game is that you have to either get enough points or just have enough time pass uh that the snitch meter gets full and when the snitch meter gets full that means that there is now this like basically snitch mini game <laughs> where you are basically riding on rails and it's uh, it's like a, a trail that you just have to kind of follow to the T as, as closely mm-hmm. as you can. Uh, the, the more center you are on the trail, the, the faster you go. And uh, you can use boost uh, and to, to basically power up and then get the snitch. And that's 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 all of it, really. <laughs> and you, there's no I don't know if I never was able to play a game where I didn't get the snitch and like it just stops. So I'm pretty sure that's just the end game. Mm-hmm. Like you can't go on after that. No, yeah, catching the snitch ends the game. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, like, like, I don't think they they give you a time limit, right? Because I I was following it for like two minutes at one point. Oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, I think I just follow it forever until I catch it. Yeah, probably, or yeah. at least until you like, yeah, you lose track of it, and then you have to start all over again. Well, yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, yeah I think the only way it would be like you have to go way off the trailer or something, oh, and then okay. maybe you would start. Who knows? But that was just like one thing that was by far the worst part because it could have been done in such a better way. Like there's so mm-hmm. much more potential for me, honestly could be an unpopular opinion, but I would like the, I would almost rather the snitch catching be off screen or maybe some kind of like 
rock, paper, scissors style or something. I don't know. Mm. But just, I, I think making that the core gameplay after playing like 10 minutes of normal Quidditch and then, oh, now you just have to follow a trail for a minute. Like that just feels, it just feels so cheap to me. It's like, okay, then why did I even play the game? That probably is the hardest part of the game to make and still make the game fun because it does end the game all the automatically. The, the team that catches the snitch, what is it, wins 150 points and then yeah. whoever has the most points after that wins. But making that a gameplay mechanic is tricky. It is, uh, it is. Because the game itself is like, it's not like a, a traditional sports game where you have one fixed camera angle like an NHL game or Mario Strikers, which is fresh in our minds right now, where you have the one camera angle looking down and panning from left to right. With this game, the the camera switches between characters constantly. So you're basically, you're, it's like you're playing a 3D platforming sports game or something. It's really confusing. It would have been so much better if it was that single camera angle. And then maybe if you, I guess, line up, line up a character with the snitch at a certain point, then it switches to an over-the-shoulder Resident Evil 4 chase scene or something where you're going after the snitch in some way, dodging things or, you know, spamming A, spam B, spam X, spam Y, mm. like, and then that's how you catch up with it. I think that would have made a bit more sense, but the constant switching and camera angles was a bit jarring for me. Uh, I would have much preferred the game to... Um, to have had that fixed sports camera angle. Um, But another thing that's funny that we've talked about with sports games and GameCube games in general is that this game is, uh, it came out and only does one thing. You can only play Quidditch in it. You can't do anything else. And unlike a lot of these games, the fishing games and the the wave racing games, uh, which have all been topped by uh, GTA where you can do all these things, I'm pretty sure you can't play Quidditch in GTA. So (laughs) if you want to play Quidditch, this is still basically the only way and the other Harry Potter games to do it. I'm I'm really hoping that the new Hogwarts Legacy game has a Quidditch mode and is actually like start a team, make a league, play against other, like how cool would it be if they, if you can start like a Quidditch league in that game and play online? That would be really, really fun because I think that's the only way to do it properly is to play online. So everyone is controlling a player Mm -hmm. because you really can't play Quidditch in the normal way here where normal sports game is like single player, but you're, you can just switch between any player you want. And that doesn't work. In Quidditch, no. just because everyone has such different roles, right? Like the a key, like the keeper is so different than the bludgers, like, and then of course the um like the 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 seeker is the the most different. Mm-hmm. So it, it's and it's impossible to replicate that properly, especially in two thousand four. So the, they honestly did their job and they did the best they could, but it just the uh, at the end of the day fell flat, Neil. It did fall flat. They did the best they could, but they could have made it a little bit better. And it's only a two player two-player game they could have made this a four-player game that would have helped yeah, it a yeah, little bit but unfortunately they did not they did add some game boy advance uh cross play which was slightly nice i suppose you can hook up your gamecube uh, to the game boy advance for some cross play it allows you to swap cards between the two versions which i guess is cool and you can play uh play co-op mode uh the game boy player you can also play as beaters and catch the snitch on that if you want there is a game boy advance version of this game but it's a bit more of like an isometric top-down version of quidditch it did not review well at all i think <laughs> it had like a four out of ten or something like that uh what's irritating to me i did watch gameplay of the game and there's audience cheering the entire time you're playing it so the entire time you're playing it it sounds like your game boy advance is about to explode <laughs> oh my god because the speaker can't like uh can't replicate crowd noises so it just sounds like loud yeah. static playing the entire time interesting design choice but uh not a game i'll be picking up so with that mike i think it's time we hit the back of the case of harry potter quidditch something and uh we'll close out the episode what do you think yeah quidditch world cup that sounds good neil and i have the case <laughs> here so if you mind if you don't mind uh i'd like to read it i don't mind at all this one's a bit of a longer one so please go ahead mount your broomstick for the favorite sport of witches and wizards 
lead any of the Hogwarts houses to victory in the Hogwarts Quidditch Cup, then select an international team and use your new skills to take aim at the Quidditch World Cup. That's interesting. It literally does say new skills because you do learn new skills. Mm. Um, compete in the Hogwarts Quidditch Cup as Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, or Draco Malfoy Slytherin. Okay, so no one else is on the team. The <laughs> uh, take control of an international team in pursuit of the greatest Quidditch prize of all, the Quidditch World Cup. Uh, play the best Quidditch teams in the world, each with its own distinctive playing style. Uh, yeah, that is something that is cool. USA, mm-hmm. England, France, Germany, and the Nordic team, Japan, Spain, Australia, and Bulgaria, featuring Victor Crumb, of course. Go ahead, uh, go head-to-head with your friends. And just one friend in magical, fast, <laughs> exciting two-player action, masters six different Quidditch challenge challenges around Hogwarts, and connect to the Game Boy Advance for Quidditch card trading and cooperative gameplay. I can't imagine how many people actually connected their Game Boy Advance to this for uh, for for card uh, card trading. <laughs> Must have been hard to have been like a Harry Potter card collecting fan in the two thousands when everyone's playing Yu Gi Oh. <laughs> they were cool though i do like the harry potter cards but uh i'd like some real life harry potter cards that'd be kind of neat to get like some I, maybe they do come with those chocolate frogs i've never actually had one so i'll have to find that out but mike well i'm trying out uh harry potter chocolate frogs if those are sold at any of the candy stores near me what games from the list of games that we talked about today do you suggest that the listeners pick up i would say chamber of secrets i just think that's the best game uh of these by a long shot uh, I, uh, for me, it's a huge nostalgia trip for sure. The first game is fine. Uh, not on GameCube. I definitely, uh, wouldn't play it on GameCube. I'd play it. I'd probably play it on, I don't even know if I would play it on PC, but I would definitely <laughs> want to have Chamber of Secrets. And really, I, I know this is going to lead into your next question. Really what I want is a remaster and a, like a, of the first couple of games, especially the first two. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great that's a great suggestion. I I can't I can't honestly suggest any of the GameCube Harry Potter games. I have the second one. It's fine. Like it's fun if you're a really big Harry Potter fan. I think you're probably better off to buy the PC versions of the first oh, two yeah, games. Oh yeah, buy them PC. I, yeah. I almost always hear those games praised. Unfortunately, and I know this from my girlfriend who's tried to buy them multiple times on different storefronts. They don't sell them on Steam because EA of course own the rights oh. and they're not on any storefronts. You might be able to find them on like an EA Play kind of thing, but other than that, I think your only option is to torrent or uh, track down used copies, which they're not very expensive. They're around 20 bucks. I checked on eBay just to see, like, what do these PC games cost if they're not on any uh, virtual storefront? But the games are really hard to find because they are old EA games from uh, from that era. So just like James Bond, your only, your only way of buying these games is, is digitally. But... If you're not really willing to go back and play old games from from this generation, I would say to just save your money and wait for Hogwarts Legacy to come out. Uh, wait for some reviews because that game seems to be going through some sort of development hell. So I think that we're going to see a rough couple of months of that game's launch, but eventually I think it's going to be a pretty fun time. So I'm looking forward to that game, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wait for that. Mm-hmm. But with that, it's kind of awkward talking about the future of the series since we already know the future of the series. But uh, where do you see the future of Harry Potter or the Wizarding World, Mike, on Nintendo hardware? Because Hogwarts Legacy is not coming out on Switch. I don't care what the rumors say. That is a <laughs> PC, PS4, Xbox only game. So do you think that we'll ever see a Harry Potter, a mainline Wizarding World Harry Potter game on Nintendo again? Or do you think we're just relegated to Lego games? No, I think we will. I think we, I, I, I definitely think that Hogwarts Legacy will come to Switch. It 100% will not be day one, uh, mm. but it will come eventually. I'm I'm fairly confident. We've gotten stuff like Witcher 3. 
you know, on, on the Switch. So if we can do that, then Hogwarts Legacy won't be far behind. And it might not be on the Switch. It might be Nintendo's next console, which would be more powerful in theory. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty confident that'll come on. Uh, really, though, yeah, like I said, I really, really, really would love to see some sort of remaster of, of, of those games if not all of them, they probably want to do all of them, but at least yeah. the, the early games that we all love, they do get such, there's a lot of, they're, they're critical darlings for sure. And nostalgia darlings. I think they would sell like gangbusters. Um, <laughs> they sold a ton, the first two games back in the day. So like, there's clearly yeah. a, a, you know, a big market for these and, uh, and the Lego Harry Potter game, you know, that's another recommendation for me to pick up. I would love to pick that up. Honestly, I know it, it does go on sale a lot, so I think I will next time it goes on sale. I think I'll just buy that because I love the Star Lego Star Wars. Definitely going to love the Harry Potter one. And I think we'll probably get some kind of Lego Harry Potter. It's funny that we never got any uh, uh, any Fantastic Beasts games. Uh, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> they, they do have Fantastic Beasts Lego sets. But yeah, not having a game, totally fine with that. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see the Wizarding... I keep wanting to call it the Wizarding World. The Hogwarts Legacy game on Switch. I think... We'll see that on whatever Nintendo's next console is. I think we need something yeah. a little bit more powerful, something that's better at online and graphics, too. They're not going to make a downgraded version of that game right off the bat anyway. Nope. Uh, so I think whatever Nintendo's next console will be, uh, it will sell incredibly well on that, and that's where we'll see it with Nintendo. Uh, you are right, though. The first couple of games did sell incredibly well. We didn't even talk about that, but the first game sold very well on PC. It was in the top best-selling PC games between 2001 and 2003 and sold 8 million units on PS1 alone. Wow. That's crazy. Pretty sure that's correct. But anyway, like those games sold, that first couple of games sold very well and then declined steadily after that. But I think if they were to remake, like not even like, a remaster but to reimagine like remake from the ground up give it to thq or somebody <laughs> yeah. else to like remake the first like harry potter years one through four in a single game and then harry potter's like like what lego did but it, uh, no offense a real game um like a really good game like a game where you have like a simulation you can go through the uh go through the years as your own character or play through it again as harry ron and hermione i don't know how that would work anymore with the rights to those movies and the characters likenesses i think you'd probably have to see i would go book for those ones. I was going to say, I think you yeah. have to go book the same way that, uh, what was that, e- Square Enix just made the Avengers again with all of those uh, Walmart brand Avengers. I think you kind of have to do that with Harry Potter, mm. which is tricky, but it's also different than the Avengers because the Avengers, were, we still have Avengers movies. We just had Infinity War and Endgame, whereas the Harry Potter series has, the movie series has been gone for 11 years. So I think that if you were to kind of redesign those characters to look more like the books in a video game, I don't think people would be as turned off by it as they were with not seeing Robert Downey Jr. in a video game. So it would be really interesting to see. Um, I, I, I am nothing but excited uh, to see uh, what Harry Potter does going forward and the Wizarding World. I'd like to see some books come back too. Uh, just the future of the series in general. Like I would love to see the world go back to a time when people stood outside of bookstores for a midnight release of a book. Like I can't even fathom that anymore. And it was just normal. Like every couple of years, people would stand outside of a chapters as if it was a new iPhone launch. And that was just normal. Like, uh, but there's nothing like that. There hasn't been anything like that since really. So I would love to see that come back. Maybe it's not Harry Potter. Maybe it's something new, but I would just like to see another book series in general come back with that level of popularity. I agree, Neil. I agree. Yeah. But Mike, while I'm standing outside of chapters waiting for the next big <laughs> book to come out, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 104 of the GameCube School podcast? 
On episode 104, we're talking about Hagrid. Just Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> Hagrid finally gets a standalone game. My I love God, Hagrid. I would love that. He's one of my favorite characters, though, in those movies. He's so cool. He's always got tea going. He's always making tea. Like, So he's definitely, he's my boy. He's, uh, you know what? I, yeah, we didn't even say who our favorite characters are. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have a favorite, but I'd say Luna, Luna Lovegood. Oh, okay. And, and uh, Lupin, Lupin, uh, and Sirius Black. But I, I think Lupin is my favorite. I'm, I'm a Hagrid supporter. Myself. Like, I love Hagrid. I, I don't know. I, I like anybody with the long beards, like Dumbledore is cool. But actually, character, not a human, but the castle, like the Hogwarts castle is my favorite character. And I'm going to cheat. That's definitely <laughs> cheating. But like, same way, like in, in like Star Wars, how the Death Star is like this iconic sure. thing from yeah. Star Wars, like the Hogwarts castle is just beautiful. I love it just beautiful and we'll be talking about that at some point in the future <laughs> but we'll we'll shelve the, the the Hagrid standalone game for now we'll have that with the Waluigi standalone game we'll do that as a as an episode mm. a duo episode <laughs> but uh next week we will be talking about games for kids as we can call it uh it, it's going to be about Winnie the Pooh games there are two Winnie the Pooh games mm. on the GameCube there's also a Curious George game which kind of falls into the same same uh, idea, I guess. And there's also a Franklin game, Franklin the Turtle, which is a Canadian, uh, a Canadian turtle, uh, and it's not in it's not released in north america on the gamecube it's only in the pal region but you know what neil i don't care we're going to talk about it anyways definitely we did that before we talked about like when we first started the podcast we talked about dosh and the giant in an early episode and that never came out in north america either so yeah you and i both grew up with franklin so i think it's only right to talk about him and uh, yeah. we've, we've talked about other kids games before in the past uh, like obviously we've talked about dora the explorer before and uh, we're going to be having a it, spongebob is going to have its own episode not technically for kids these are the games for like Nintendo was going after the teens and the uh, the edgy generation. This is more for the uh, like the kindergarten and preschool kids. No offense if you were into the Winnie the Pooh game as a kid. Uh, a lot of these games are actually very high quality, so I'm I'm not joking. I'm actually excited to talk yeah. about them because <laughs> they should not be as good as they are. Yeah, honestly, that's that's often the way. The kids' games, the really simple games, are some of the best games ever, just because they do things simple and they do it right. Yep, that's correct. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 103 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. Thank you to everybody over there. Then you can follow us for free on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Just search the GameCube is Cool. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Hagrid, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube. You're a wizard, Harry. You're a Harry wizard. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Not quite the same. Not quite the same. He's cool. What was the actor's name now? It's uh, Coltrane. Robbie Coltrane. Robbie Coltrane. He, it's so weird seeing him without a beard. Yeah, it's weird. It's yeah, weird. Yeah, can't can't do it. Get a, get the beard always. Also, child labor. Uh, Harry was put into child labor. Just wanna, just oh. wanna let everyone know. The actor or like Harry Potter, the the character. The Harry Potter, the character. He had to the, the work for the the Dursleys. Oh yeah, that's right. I yeah. forget about that era of Harry Kinda Potter. Kind of messed up. Yeah, I'd like to see the years one through nine for him. <laughs>